It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and enter the mind of Rob Zombie. This is Terrible Terror Podcast, and you've entered Rob Zombie Ween. It's time to get foxy foxy, so wake up Jesus Frankenstein and jump in our Dracula as we take you into tonight's feature. You may encounter a living dead girl in House of a Thousand Corpses. and welcome to zombie ween hey brian we finally made it we finally made it it's october even though it might not be october <laughs> it's pre-zombie ween <laughs> no no it's it's definitely zombie ween no matter when we do this it's zombie ween <laughs> <laughs> oh man i gotta tell you it just gives me such good feels when i hear that song i know i i've been telling you you know it's been in my head for the last couple of days since I, you know, watched this movie once again, and I'm just like, man, I forgot how much I really like that song. I mean, I like a lot of Rob Zombie, but that song in particular is one of my favorites. It's been in my head for 17 years. Well, there you go. Uh, so what's your favorite Rob Zombie song? Ooh, that's like a punching me in the gut, man. Hey, They're, man. Every song. Every no, song. No, no, no you no. don't have to do yes, it. Yes, one. I need one <laughs> song. No. I can tell you mine. I love his catalog, too, but there is one that stands out. Well, what stands out for you? Uh, never gonna stop the red ruby groovy okay that's that's my favorite favorite rob yeah. zombie song is that and your so wrestling I, entrance that could be if i was gonna okay. wrestle somebody yeah. and it's just it's kind of because it's got like it's dancey it's still got like the little bit of bite to it the lyrics i love the way that they've done i love the you know the feminine voices that come in uh to sing the song to you uh it's like classic rob zombie but it still feels like you know jumpy I, I I mean jumping super... so you're not gonna wrestle you're gonna jump no I'm gonna jump somebody yes <laughs> well if I ever hear Rob Zombie music blaring like oh here comes Brian <laughs> is that the red groovy groovy or <laughs> <laughs> somebody's about to catch a beat down <laughs> never gonna stop me no stop never gonna stop <laughs> oh. I think that was Edge's music right eventually it might have been you know I'm not like the biggest wrestling fan in the world and I'm pretty sure that Pat's gonna tell me who it is yeah both of us probably <laughs> oh, well you know the way pat does things yeah <laughs> so house of a thousand corpses this is the first time that i'm doing this i know that you've talked about this previously with the back in time guys and, and uh, black cat shadow <laughs> and black cat shadow and a lot of people so i'm i'm making you do this one again just because uh-huh. i want to do the whole trilogy you know yes. that's that's the way that I want to do it. I don't want to skip out on this movie and have to put something else in, you know, like the haunted world of El Superbisto or something like that, uh, which I do really enjoy. It's really fucking weird. I do yeah. really enjoy it. But we also don't have 
you know, there's only a trilogy of the Firefly family. So we are going to have to do one that's kind of out of the, uh, you know, hmm. pantheon of these films. And I wonder what that one's going to be. As we get closer to the Halloween season, uh, let's see here. It's going to be three. It's going to get closer to the 31st. I have no idea. I have no idea either. I mean, yeah. can't do the Halloween movies because I've already done those. Yeah, those are already some of your best episodes. So how are you going to top that? Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe Rob Zombie will do a Halloween 3 season of The Witch. <laughs> that would actually be kind of cool. Like, you know, I wish that he, instead of doing the sequel, you know, maybe that he did it like it was intended to be, that it was going to be different types of films and got rid of Michael Myers and just called it his Halloween trilogy, all centered around the, the same day. With a name like Rob Zombie's Halloween, yeah, he could have made it anything. Yeah, could have been anything. Take any of his movies, like Lords of Salem, and just call it Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. And it's, you know, <laughs> boom. It's about Salem Witch Trials. Yes. And then you're going to take uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 3, The Haunted World of El Superbista. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, F- could you imagine? Frozen Nazis. Here we go. <laughs> imagine Rob Zombie doing heavy metal. See, I think that would be cool because, I, you know, the first, as Rob Zombie, the director, the first, like, thing I ever saw him do was that Beavis and Butthead do America segment. Yes. Which is trip. fucking amazing. I, I love it. You know, especially uh, you see Beavis and Butthead, like, melt down to the, yes. just the skeletons. Oh, it's great. Dude, it's such a, like, MTV vibe. Yeah. Like, 90s grunge music videos. And being that... Rob Zombie comes from the world of music and doing all his like art covers and everything like that. When you go back to like the white zombie days, it's just, oh, it, it stands out that this guy had talent from day one. And uh, I think that's why I connect with him so much too, man. It's cause he, you'll notice throughout all of his films and his music, he pays respect to so much of the classics. And that's what caught my attention originally, like growing up and listening to him, you know, junior high, high school and stuff like that. And then him making his directorial debut with this movie, it literally, it, the funny thing about this movie is, it, yeah, it has a big budget. It was filmed Universal Studio a lot and everything, but it comes off like such an indie film. Yeah. Like the things he does in this movie are so brave to the way that horror movies were really tame back in the early 2000s, you know? And he broke a lot of ground so much so that I know they were, they shelved this movie for like three years because they thought of, you know, it was NC-17. Oh, yeah. And finally they got it down to an R rating and it sucks because... I've read many places that the alternate footage isn't found anywhere. No, like, and, they just and didn't use it. That's something that I really wish they had kept. And I originally thought that they were going to be releasing a version of the film that was an unrated version on DVD, you know, that it got its short little time to be out there. And then when it hit, you know, home video, that you're going to be able to see that version and it's never surfaced. And it sucks because I really, and you can tell where they tone things down in the film to accompany that, you know, R rating to get it there. Like they just didn't like feel brave enough at the time to put out an NC 17 horror movie. Well, and I think at that time it wasn't so common as it is now to have an unrated version, like naturally, because like you said, you said to video and that VHS was still a big thing. And I can't believe it or not back in 2003, like this movie came out on, you know, VHS as well. And, you know, back then things had to go through the, 
the grind of the rating system. And so, yeah, though he shot like multiple scenes different ways and let kind of the big wigs take over, I think that's helped him in his career because his movies, though he's kept the violent nature of the film, like he's got away from some of that and he's doing a lot of it by himself and doing a lot of things with Lionsgate and the Saban films at who's, you know, been mentioned on your podcast a couple of times recently. Yeah. Which is funny. And it's so cool because like, I've said this a million times, but like the horror fans have grown up, you know, and they're making horror movies now and it's such a good time for it because we're getting all of these versions that we want to see. Yeah. I I totally agree with that. Uh, I think that, you know, like going into my own memories for this one, I remember seeing Rob Zombie and him when he first announced the trailer and the trailer being a part of his show. And Mm -hmm. he had this big thing where it was like, in, you know, because he was the main headliner for that one, and the, everything just went dark. The screens came up, and he, that's how he announced the movie uh, was on his tour, right? And then I remember seeing him later, three years later, <laughs> and that's how he announced the movie's going to actually be released was during his tour, like, it, and by playing the House of Thousand Corpses song live in front of everybody. Where it first happened, it was just like that quick horror cut, like Rob Zombie's first movie. I remember everybody being like, oh my God, like he's yeah. actually going to be able to be given the like the reins to do a full movie. And we were all stoked, you know, because impressionable 20-something-year-olds out at a yeah. rock show. And here we're a guy that we've, you know, we've enjoyed, we've looked up to. And one of my first times seeing him and, and hearing he's doing a horror movie, I'm like, it makes sense. Everything that he's done, his state show is a horror show, you know, and it hasn't changed like that much. It still incorporates everything that he loves of the genre and everything he loves of the classes. Yeah, man. I I think back to when I first saw anything about this movie and it was a teaser on another horror movie. And it was just a black and white scene of graves being dug. And it was like raining. Mm-hmm. and it was the camera was kind of like zooming in a little bit and then finally it did the whole you know the directorial debut of you know musician or whatever rob zombie and then it's like house of a thousand corpses and that was it that's all it said and that's all it showed and then the thing was in hiatus forever and nobody forgot about it but i think people understood like yeah that probably not coming out you know yeah and then to hear that it is similar to the way that he shocked us with another yet sequel in the trilogy. Like we would have called it done. And then we hear there's another one coming. And I, guess what? I saw that first trailer at a concert too. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's absolutely crazy. Like to, with, especially with the third one, you know, to, to look at the behind the scenes stuff uh, after everything was done and to actually hear him talk about how he, you know, necessarily didn't want to go back, but he felt it was the right time and how he still was a little bit of a struggle even then to get this done, even after how well the Devil's Rejects really did, mm-hmm. you know? And it was still like, well, it's it's so long ago, maybe you should have made this movie when that was at the height of everything, you know? And he still decided, you know what? I'm still going to do it. And for a lot of people, there are actors in this movie, this is their first introduction to those actors. First introduction to Sid Haig, first introduction to Bill Mosley, first introduction to Karen Black, you you may re- like look at these guys and be like, you're really familiar. 
but you don't know exactly where you've seen them from or if you've seen them anywhere else. Bill Mosley, this, this was my introduction to him. And I know that he's done quite a bit, you know, more, and he's actually been involved, like he was involved in Army of Darkness, but he was just like a little bit player in that movie. But I still find that funny uh, that he was actually there. But it's still like, these guys are, have become even more of a horror icon after this movie. And they were already icons before. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about how he shows it's like his love letter to the horror genre is he accumulates, dare I say, these has been actors, right? Like, I hate that term, but essentially these folks weren't doing much at the time. I mean, a lot of 90s movies were kind of whatever and some a lot of TV movies and stuff. But as we all know, horror took a a weird spin in the 90s. And so for them to literally have their careers revived again, and like you said, now people are like, oh, Karen Black. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people in our age bracket probably weren't talking about Trilogy of Terror or Invaders from Mars, you know, the remake from 86. But people know her as Mother Firefly. And like you said, Bill Mosley, okay, people may not you know, recognize him as Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, but hey, he was also in Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Like these people have profound careers and shout out to Evan from From the Waste, uh, who's in our SIP network because he's a huge Sid Haig fan. He and I have had discussions. We talked about Jason Stark, man. We talked about mm-hmm. Galaxy of Terror. And uh, I mean, we've talked behind the scenes about Spider Baby and all these things here. And it's amazing that, like you said, some of these folks have done so many things but then this came out and they've skyrocketed. Like the laundry list of movies has quadrupled in size. Oh yeah. And it's always funny because I remember Sid Haig from Jackie Brown, right? <laughs> that's, that's one of those movies that like, he was a standout performance in that film, you know, it, and with listening to your old episodes of Dave's pop culture podcast, and also listen to black cat shadow. Uh, I, you, you people, if they can, and it's still available, need to go back and listen. One, listen to the Sid Haig episode that you guys did where you guys talked to him because it's a very good episode just in general. Uh, but learning about him in his days, of, you know, in the 70s, uh, doing these, uh, doing TV shows, being a part of these weird shows that I, I know I've seen, but I don't remember that he was there. And then all of a sudden, when now when I look, I'm like, well, holy shit. Yeah, that was him. You know, it's it's so weird to see these guys in these, you know, small roles or less iconic roles, but really here it's like, they're all kind of in your face again. And they all, it's not a cheesy performance. Right. And, and different actors and actresses in these films, I think excel in different movies. Right. Like, there's one movie that may be more their movie than, than anything else, you know, like, and I know we'll go into a little more, but like, I feel like Sid Haig is the one that kind of steals everything for this one. Uh, He's not in it a whole lot, but I would say he's the most memorable part of it where I feel like in devil's rejects, Bill Mosley, that is his movie. Mm -hmm. Like uh, hands down hands. He does a good job in this one, but it's still a little cheesy, a little bit towards the end where you can tell things are a little bit chopped up, you know, that they were going to do something and I got to get to this point and I got to do that. Um, But I I still think it's a really good performance, but he owns the devil's rejects. Hands down, hands down in in my personal opinion. And then, you know, 
Three from Hell, uh, I think it's kind of Richard Brake's movie um, in, in a way, uh, because he, the way he's coming in. And Sherry Moon Zombie does a pretty good job in that movie as well. Still, See, I, was, I was about to argue you. I was going to say I felt like it was Baby's movie. It, it is a little more Baby's movie, but I feel like, I, I guess coming, well, I guess if you, I guess I could probably go be swayed a little more saying that it's Baby's movie because Richard Brake's movies, honestly, a different one that we're probably going to be looking at. Um, probably as we get closer to the 31st. That's probably as we get closer to that. And that's going to be doom again. Cause I'm going to make you do that again. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, No, it, I, I would, then I would argue that. It, I think that you, you, you bring up a good point in that. I do think that's a little more baby's movie, but baby, I personally have issues with, uh, but you know, it's just, I think that it's a little bit of performance, not so much character. Okay. I mean, you know, if you look at the things she's been in, she had like three whole music videos before starring in her first fully feature. Oh, yeah. And then the thing is, is that she's not as in your face in this one as she becomes, right? Sure. And, and I'm totally, you know what? I wish that Sherry Moon Zombie would do other things outside of Rob Zombie's movies. Okay. But, but that's, you know, that's her did, choice. That's his choice. Did you ever happen to see the Toolbox Murders remake? She was in that. No, I did not. She, and it's directed by Toby Hooper. So it was a huh. straight to DVD release, but that's something you could check out if you want to see her not in a Rob Zombie movie. Not in a Rob, maybe that would be something good. It's like kind of seeing Jason Mewes in a random movie. That's not a Kevin exactly. Smith movie. Yeah, right? I like that. Yeah, Jason, um, it's not to say that the performances are bad. It's just that I don't rarely see it. And when I do, I'm like, oh my God, Jason Muses is in this? Like, <laughs> like what was that one gamer movie that he was in? I know he was in Feast, you know, but, was but, he's, Feast. but he's not in it for very long. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> you know? So it's not like I could say, hey, let's let's take a look at that award-winning performance in Feast. But in that, that whatever, I forgot what the gamer movie was called. It, it's something silly. But he he's is. a... It might be nudes. I think that I think it might be it. that. I think that's it. And he's a big part of that movie. But it's yeah. weird to see him in there, you know? Well, earlier you said that um, when they did the different versions, you can tell where they sacrificed some of it. And I love the way that you talk about that because I was going to come right back with, but you know the one thing that's not sacrificed in this? And I know you have your uh, bits with Sherry, but outside of that, the acting in this is not sacrificed at all because those oh, no. scenes are meant to be as cheesy as they are or whatever. Like I am sold by everybody in this, that they're a hundred percent in and even the, the smallest to largest scene gives it their all and everybody shines in this movie. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. I don't think that there isn't, you know, there are a couple, like I'd say one-off characters, which are just kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, they're in, they're out. Um, and, and not to, just uh, before we really start diving into the rest of this, not just keep going off on the, on these the things. Zombie but, ween, baby. We can yeah, do no, we, want. we we totally can. Uh, but uh, just the like I said, the, the like the one offs, they're they're good for what they're doing, right? But I think your main people, the people that have the most amount of lines on screen, even somebody like Chris Hardwick, who I don't think has ever done any other movie other than this, you know, well, other than Halloween. Uh, where he was in it um you know he plays the role well but he's he is a little bit of himself it's also funny to see um rain wilson in this movie and this before is actually office. before the office and this is actually where like 
I recognize him from is yeah. specifically from this movie. And I know that he's done a bunch of other things and he was in a bunch of couple of different movies before he was in this, but this is kind of one of his first like main roles where he's like the main guy of the film, even though he's not quite the main guy. Well, yeah, nobody goes, Hey, it's Rain Wilson, the guy from galaxy quest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except for my wife, because she's she like, might. yeah, she's like, Hey, well, she's a big rain Wilson fan. Cause oh, she, nice. she loves the office too. That's the other thing. Like, Dwight, Dwight is her guy. And, uh, she was just like, yeah, remember when he was in Galaxy Quest? And I like looked over at her and I'm like, you remember that? <laughs> I'm like, I forgot that. You're reminding me. She's like, yeah, he was like one of, one of my favorite things about Galaxy Quest. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's just weird. The funny thing about Chris Hardwick, when you're like, I don't know what he's done outside of this and Halloween. When I was taking notes for this, I was like, okay, notes on Chris Hardwick. Uh, best friends with Rob Zombie. And he actually voiced the Green Lantern for three episodes of the uh, Cartoon Network. I think it was 2004 to 2008, The Batman. So Yeah, and then he uh, was the voice of a cow on like back in the barnyard, like this animated movie from Nickelodeon. Oh, the Nickelodeon thing. And then, you know, he did Singled Out back in the day. That's where I, my recollection is from him. He was the host of Singled Out on MTV. Wow. Uh, then he did. Uh, I love Chris Hardwick, by the way. Uh, did, I he, think Ed told me didn't he do like some MTV Two or something? Didn't he have his own thing on there? Maybe he, it was singled out. Actually, maybe maybe it might have been that. The other thing I remember, he used to be a part of G Four, and he did his own version of Talk Soup called Web Soup, which my wife and I loved watching because I like his humor. I, I do like his stand up as well. It is very you know nerd centric, uh, you could say. And, and focus on that but and then i really got into podcasting because of him as well because listening to what used to be called nerdist now it's called idiot um i really like it was one of those things where i knew him not like i felt like he wasn't really known outside of certain circles right people didn't remember oh hey it's the singled out guy but just listening to him and what he he went through in terms of his alcoholism and and the, the stories that he would tell. And then just the way he would tell everybody, he's like, dude, if you want to just do something, just do it. Like I, I have his book and his book is basically about that. Like he was afraid to do a lot of stuff. And then he just kind of threw himself into the fire to do these things. And hmm. that's how he started, you know, creating the Nerdist Empire. Because even at the beginning, the podcast wasn't, you know, it's at the beginning of the podcasting thing. It wasn't super professional. He's just like, let's just do it gets his two friends to do that and just talk to his comedian friends that he has and, you know, goes from there. So there, there's a lot in, in like the way that he, he thinks that I really enjoy, you know, and it sucks that he got caught up in all that other crap, you know? Well, you know, thank you, Chris Hardwick, because it sounds like you were the reason that the Terrible Terror podcast exists. He's, he's definitely one of the reasons that the Terrible Terror podcast exists outside of, you know, all the other people that I know uh, and my wife also and her love of terrible horror movies and, and how we used to do stuff. So, yeah, but enough about gushing about other people. Um, <laughs> I, I guess if you're ready, we can dump, dump, jump right into this Oof. movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to dump myself all over it. Um, <laughs> terrible. Uh, yeah. You will notice the slight lack of editing in some of these, uh, <laughs> <laughs> these episodes that we record oh uh, you mean like whenever you say uh listen to dave talk but you goof up and say talk about dave oh i'm just gonna right. leave it in I, I that. that's good <laughs> but you know uh, what? i'm just gonna leave yeah. it in 
everybody's waited all year long to get to Zombieween, and now that we're here, we should dive in. So the first thing that I want to go through is the kind of weird intro that we get into the film. Museum of Monsters and Madmen. <laughs> yeah, see the alligator boy. Ride my famous murder ride. Most of all, don't forget to take home some of my tasty fried chicken. Ha <laughs> ha! It just tastes so damn good. Man, I just absolutely love it. Um, it already makes me smile just like listening to it. Yeah, there's Sid Haig still in the show already. He's already still, but the the whole intro with like the old school like monster man like late night like I like the way it seems weird when you first watch it, but it's almost like it's introducing you to the film like they used to back in the days, right? When you'd watch these B movie or really late night if they managed to show like an old grindhouse movie that you could catch at like eleven thirty twelve at night where you'd have somebody almost like a, a Joe Bob Briggs, you know, what he kind of does now with his show, The Last Drive-In, and what he did with Monster Vision back in the day with TNT. But that kind of like old school introduction, that seems out of place. And then it leads right into a commercial. So like you're getting a commercial for the movie before the movie actually starts. Yeah, I mean, I don't really find it out of place per se, but I, I understand what you're saying. But I think it's more because... I've been always committed to his vision and passion for the older stuff. And I'm thinking like, of course it would start with this. And I, dude, I'm with you. I love the idea of a horror host and to me, it just makes everything much more fun. And it's weird because he, he pops up, but he doesn't like, he, I, I feel like he was meant to be in it more or to have that character more rather than just some of the small little scenes that he ends up just kind of being in like before certain situations happen. It's funny because Rob Zombie initially was going to play that role and he underwent different makeup tests. And he's like, um, he chose not to do it because he felt like even though he did sporadic tests, he still looked like Rob Zombie. He's like, yeah, it all just looks like me. <laughs> so he got somebody else to do the part. <laughs> Who honestly kind of looks like Rob Zombie. <laughs> Doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, I think it's because I think of the uh, Living Dead Girl video. I think when oh. I see that, right? Because that's where he's like the carnival barker type of mm -hmm. like thing and, and making sure that I'm not fucking up my Rob Zombie song music video looks. Uh, <laughs> but so, that's that's what what it reminds me of. The Living Dead Girl video was actually Sherry Moon's first thing that she had done. And I love that video because it pays uh, ode to an amazing silent uh, German silent horror film called uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. There that's you awesome. go. <laughs> so... We then come up upon the, uh, what would you call this? The, the Like the random pit stop? Like you got fried chicken, 
you got gas, and you got a horror museum. Yeah, these are things that only exist in our dreams, Brian, because I have yet to see a place that looked as awesome as this. Well, it's just funny because you think that this looks like the Midwest, right? I think this actually takes place in Texas. Is it Texas? I mean, I'm I a think bad Texan if that's so. I think it's supposed to be Texas. Actually, I think I did read that. I think you're right. And so mm. it's that means these places might exist in your neck of the woods. <laughs> That's right. Well, maybe further west. <laughs> further west? <laughs> Out towards El Paso or something. <laughs> <laughs> I saw those dirt roads, man. What are you trying to say about El Paso? <laughs> That's west. <laughs> so you have this like pit stop and we go inside. And of course, th- this is where you begin to fall in love with Sid Haig. I can't do nothing with this now. I can't get rid of this. It ain't worth nothing. My name's all over it. I was fixing the the trade to Jackie Cobb. That retard hangs out of Molly's fruit stand? Mm, yeah. You know, for the life of me, I cannot understand why you hang out with that asshole. He's one horny retard. Well, they tell all. All they want to do is eat and fuck. Well, like, if you know him, you might understand his urges. Uh, worse than a rabid-ass baboon. Yeah. You know what his favorite thing is next to whacking his weasel? takes a sharpened pencil and sticks it in his eyeball and twists it. What? He doesn't hurt himself, though. He kind of twists it right next to his eyeball. Huh? Uh, he been putting that pencil someplace other than his eyeball. Nah, he don't do nothing like that. Although once he got caught, you know, uh, with a Planet of Apes doll stuck up his asshole. <laughs> God damn! <laughs> they had to take him to the hospital. Kid had Dr. Z stuck halfway up his butt. Couldn't get it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Dr. Zayas. He doesn't need to be up there. The <laughs> no. things that he's seen. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. <laughs> and do you recognize the guy who plays Stucky, the one telling the story to Sid? No. And that's something that I was going to ask you. Okay, so his name is actually Michael J. Pollard, which another shout out to our boy Evan from The Waste. He's a big fan of his because this guy's been acting forever. And he was in a lot of stuff. Um, He was in American Gothic. He was in Sleepaway Camp 3. But what's really cool, and you're going to love this, is he actually did a voice in the Troma Crusaders TV show and movie, the animated movie of, uh, he's credited as the Psycho in the movie and three episodes. So whoever the Psycho character is, like, oh, it's michael j pollard but that's pretty cool um not too long ago we recorded on the from the waste podcast where we converted over the trek talk to and uh evan had us do a post-apocalyptic episode from the 60s called miri and he's in it oh wow so he has been everywhere man he's been everywhere so (laughs) bad jam to cash joke uh but (laughs) i guess that's why i missed it (laughs) (laughs) but it's (laughs) This is kind of your introduction to Spalding and to Rob Zombie's dialogue. Yes. Uh, this is this is the perfect introduction. I, I have to say for this film, the first, uh, what, is it like 10 minutes of this film that leads you to the theme song? Basic, or, or actually it's more like, not 10, it's more like six minutes of it that kind of leads you in. It is a great introduction into the world that he wants to create. And it's a great introduction into the what you're going to expect with how things are going to go between characters. Because it's a it's kind of a jokey slash like serious. There's there's certain things that I want I'm not gonna try to say what I'm saying right now about what I loved about Sid Haig in this movie. Uh, but 
it's the way that kind of everything flows. You have that grindhouse nature and you can tell who the the naughty characters are, the bad characters are based upon the dialogue. Whereas when we finally meet Bill, Jerry and, and the girls, you can tell that how they speak is much, much different and that they're like the good kids, right? Yeah, for sure, man. I love the dialogue that Rob Zombie does. And I know if you're new to kind of his world or any extreme horror, it can come off very offensive. And that's because it is. But yeah, Rob Zombie doesn't care, right? He does what he wants to do. He always shines his vision through. But if you can get behind it and just kind of let those you know, uh, feelings go and just enjoy the movie for what it is, like you said, you can separate your good characters, bad characters. But you can tell if the actors are having a lot of fun because it's very very much in vain with like a Quentin Tarantino movie where it's dialogue mm-hmm. heavy, but all the conversations just, they make you feel something. It makes you feel like you're kind of just watching the guys or in on the conversation. Right. And you can definitely like, you can enjoy the dialogue and you can enjoy the characters, but you know that you're not supposed to connect to them because of how they talk. Right. right. That's, that's very Like, and that's what makes Spalding in this movie kind of a weird character because i feel like there are times where you can connect to him and you can be it but then there's other times where it's like oh this is a little bit too much and maybe i need to kind of stay away from like how i can connect into that character yeah he definitely sends off that vibe for you to not let your guard down exactly and and i really like that and it's it's something that's shown and it's not every zombie movie like you know what the dialogue that you're going to get when it comes to zombie movies after Definitely after Devil's Rejects, I feel that you know we're going to get, but not every one of them like does it as well as this trilogy does. I feel like this trilogy, because he loves the characters so much that he writes them so passionately, and we get that across in the way that even the performers are giving their all into these characters. See, I feel like I'm listening to your Rob Zombie's Halloween episodes, except for you said the opposite. <laughs> Why is there so yeah. many F words in this? Why is the family hating each other? <laughs> but yeah, I love it. No, and, and yeah, it's it's exactly the opposite. That's that's the weird thing is that this is the same fucking dialogue, yeah. right? It's the same thing, but it it works here with these characters where I didn't feel that it, especially more so in Halloween 2 than Halloween 1, it sure. doesn't necessarily work in those ways. So I guess maybe because I have an appreciation for these films, these specific films that, well, at least these first two films, we'll, we'll get to the other two films that we're going to talk about, but I do like them as well more than the Halloween movies. But with these characters, I feel it fits these characters very well. Maybe the problem is when the Halloween movies are doing it, it sounds weird just coming from children. <laughs> yeah. That could be it too. I don't necessarily need to have kids tell me to fuck off all the time. Exactly. So, well, let's continue with the scene because you probably get uh, one of my favorite exchanges in the film. So from here, we go outside and then all of a sudden we see a cop car pull away and we'll meet that police officer a little later on because it's the same, I believe it's the same cop that ends up going doing the investigation, trying to find the kids, not the deputies, but like the older gentleman with the graying hair. Um, That's the guy that looks like Gandalf. Exactly. Almost Ian McKellen like, Uh, but uh, so he leaves and that's the perfect opportunity for a couple of bumbling idiots to run into the store and try to cause heck. Fuck 
fucking Moses. Y'all get the fuck out of here. Clowny, keep your paws where I can see. Yeah, don't move. I'll blast the holes of the size of a Kansas City watermelon through your ugly ass bozo face. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Go grab that other asshole out of the shitter and drag his ass back in here. Right. You miserable motherfucker. I ought to jump over this counter and bash your fucking balls in. All right, Pippi, hand over the cash box and I might leave your brains inside your skull. Well, I'll tell you what, Ski King. Why don't you just take your mama home some chicken and then I won't have to stuff my boot all up in your ass. I don't like chicken and I hate clowns. it's it's fantastic that this is one of the best openings for a horror movie ever like it's it's perfect because it's setting the tone it's setting the characters but these aren't the characters that we're going to spend all the time with but you get an idea of the way the characters in the world work uh and it's i i just I, i fucking smile with glee every time i go through this scene Oh yeah, it's executed perfectly. And I meant to ask you, did you see this in theater? No, I only saw this at home. Like I ended up buying it. The moment that it came out and I could find it, I bought it and we watched it that night. I remember this came out on a Friday and I went the very next day, Saturday morning. And it was just me and a buddy. There was nobody else in the theater. And the reason I bring that up is because I remember right when this scene ended and it transitions into the credits, my first mm-hmm. thought was like anybody who's not like they would leave right now. Like this is immediately, like you said, it sets the scene, it sets the tone and anybody who's not on board is already leaving the theater. But on the opposite side that happened. And I looked at my buddy and it was like an instant eye connection of we are in for a hell of a ride. Oh yeah. And that the title credit sequence is also telling of what you're going to get in the film. Like, it looks like it's a bunch of kind of, like, disjointed, disconnected little, like, music video style right. of cuts, right? And we do get a lot of that, too. I'm not going to say do. that this movie isn't full of that type of thing, where we seemingly get these weird little cuts in the film that don't necessarily feel like maybe they belong, but they all tell something important to the they film. They do, and I love them because they just offer, and this is something this movie does a lot, 
unique transition sequences. Mm-hmm. And I know he filmed all that stuff in post-production, just one-on-one in his basement, which is really cool to know that he just pulled out, a, I think it was like a 16 millimeter or 35 millimeter camera, whatever it was, and just filmed them himself one-on-one and then spliced them in later. But I just found it to be so effective because we'll talk about other scenes that transition really well, at least if, if I remember when they pop up. <laughs> but I remember you almost had that second of, wait, what's happening? Yeah. You know what I mean? But then once you get on board with it, you look forward to all of them because you feel like, like you said, not only is it telling a story, but it, you're getting a snippet. It's almost like bonus material. Oh yeah. Then when like it happens when characters are introduced, it happens, right. like you say, they're used as transitions. And, and even with like, there are some things that don't feel quite right. But if you, I think if you take a little bit of time, then you can kind of pinpoint them into certain areas now are all of them clean yeah i wouldn't say that but that's a grindhouse aesthetic i think that we're getting what i was just about to say is this movie takes place in the 70s and -hmm. you can tell that it's dedicated to 70s grindhouse like when you watch this it perfectly blends with like hills have eyes and texas Mm -hmm. chainsaw massacre and to be honest brian i wouldn't have it any other way oh yeah i i totally agree and it's definitely uh it's, I think at the time, even for me, it was something that just, like, it felt odd. And I still kind of have that, that old feeling because I didn't connect it right away. And so, but then there's, there's scenes I remember and, and when we get to them, but there's scenes I remember that I loved that my friends just, like, why is this going on, you know? Separate uh, the men from the boys. That's right. So from here... We've uh, gotten our title sequence out of the way. And then we see a, uh, a truck drive by and it says, I think it says God is here. Something like that along those lines. I, I don't remember exactly. And it's blaring out, but we get to meet Chris Hardwick who plays Jerry and we get to meet uh, Rain Wilson who plays Bill for the very first time. The U S department of agriculture is checking whether state meat and poultry inspectors are good enough to allow the product to go on sale. Some of these Manson chicks are really hot. Shit, how are we almost out of gas? Look, and it's squeaking right here. Now, that's a girl you would date. Jerry, how much did you put in? I don't know, two, three bucks? Two, three bucks? I told you to fill Bill, the tank. Bill, me. Am I made of money? Get off. Jesus Christ, Jerry. Don't panic yourself there way too much. Caffeine guy. You know, I wouldn't be drinking so much coffee if you do your share of the driving. You know, I don't have night vision. Oh, not this again. Seriously, I can't even make out the lines in the road. Fine, Bill, you know what? You want to pull the car over, I'd be more than happy to kill us out in the middle of nowhere. Look, besides, there's a billboard right there. Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Madmen. Oh, that sounds great. Fried chicken and gasoline. Next exit. There you go. Problem solved. We didn't have to freak out. It was a real big deal, Bill. Okay, so why does this feel like this is going to be a road trip between you and me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who's who god damn it dave why didn't you fill up the car oh i'm the cheap one okay. oh man and did you catch how weird that was he's like i don't have night vision but yet he was able to read the billboard no problem oh he read the so, billboard no problem he's, he's, he's reading the manson girls no problem and checking mm-hmm. them out and there definitely speaking. isn't enough fucking light in that car not like he has like the roof light on right try to get himself pulled over by the cops or something no, if you hold the magazine closer, you know, you can see better. Well, you know, you need to make sure that the areolas aren't too big, and there's only one way that you're going to be able to do that. That's it right against your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, yeah, Jerry is definitely full of shit. Um, <laughs> there's also something I realized about this movie that I'll, I'll have to talk about when we get towards the end of it. Um, but uh, it's it's just kind of an interesting, like, the dynamic between the two of them are, again, it's already kind of set, and it's, like, seamless between the two of them. Like, they just, they get along, you know, and they're just kind of poking jabs at each other. You can tell that they're friends. You don't need a whole lot because both Rain Wilson and Chris Hardwick are doing such a good job of feeling cohesive together in the scenes that, that they are together in. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a complaint, like a, a big sticking point for me, but I don't feel that like their girlfriends have that same type of connection. But I also don't know if that's, if it's not meant for them to be like truly friendly, friendly, like you could tell that they're the friend friends, right? They've been friends and the girls are just kind of like, we're the girlfriends. You know, absolutely. And we're just there's definitely a disconnect there where I'm with you 100%. I, if I didn't know any better, I would assume that Rob Zombie had these two guys hang out for like two weeks before shooting just because they hit it off so well. And he would have had the two girlfriends not meet each other and until the movie, you know what I mean? But I think it adds a lot to the character because we talked about the way that the characters talk separates okay, this character's good, this character's bad, where clearly. We know, okay, Bill's going to be the kind of by-the-book, straight, narrow guy, and Chris Hardwick's going to be just kind of the wisecrack ass, but they're both good guys where we have the two girlfriends, and I know we're going to get into this, but you can tell which one right away is daddy's little girl, and Mm -hmm. maybe she's going to be a final girl? I don't know. But then you can tell the other girl is definitely doing a bitch fit the whole time, and that never ends well. Of course. Those those people don't... uh don't survive as much as the nice and homely, you know, pure girls that, that are out there. Um, yeah, definitely Rain plays a better Abbott, you know, to Hardwick's Costello, if you want to kind of get into that that type of thing. He's definitely more of the jokester, and, it's, and it shows, and it shows with, like, the humor the character has later on, too, during one of, uh, which I think is probably one of the funnier scenes in the movie when, when we get there. Uh, so they pull up to Spalding's gas station and, you know, he gets out of the car to go fill it up with gas, tells him to go inside. And right away, Jerry runs right back outside. and He's like, dude, you have to check this out. We need to wake up the girls. And then there is one of those, those jump cuts, right? One of those transition little scenes in between before Hardwick comes back to the window and he wakes up the girls with a jump scare. Yeah. It- and it's just, that one's kind of a, a weird one. In between, it doesn't really. That one kind of doesn't tell anything, you know, other than to create the like, because it's kind of like a little. It seems like a pan of the store, like right, right. It's just really quick. And nothing really. The, I have a question for you. Sure. Is it boss? <laughs> Is it boss? <laughs> That's when Chris comes out and he's. That's like, right. So fucking boss. <laughs> and I even wrote it down. It's fucking boss. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was like, I had to think about that for a second. Oh shit, is my memory going? Yes, but it's fucking boss. (laughs) So they wake up the girls. The girls are, again, not very happy. And the thing is, is that you didn't really even know that they were there. It's like really weird because as they're driving in the car, it just looks like it's, you know, Jerry and Bill going across country together, having fun, being buds. And then in the backseat, they're completely hidden until... They get here, he wakes them up, and then you notice that, oh, they've been covered with the jackets the entire time, trying right. to fall asleep. So they, they wake up, 
they go into the store and then that's where we get the uh, uh, I got you type of uh, scene here with Spalding. What's in that case over there? Hairless monkey. <laughs> Did you see the crocodile boy? <laughs> How'd you like to find that in your pants? <laughs> Excuse me, sir? Howdy. I love this place. <laughs> How long have you been running this place? Well, uh, how long's a piece of stray? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Too goddamn long. That's how long. <laughs> Too goddamn long. That's right. Right. I hear that. But how long, actually? Oh, shit, I don't know exactly. Um, I took over from my paw right after the Duke nabbed Oscar. Oh, you mean John Wayne? Well, son, how many Dukes do you know about? Uh, <laughs> Greatest American ever lived. Look at that. Circle up the wagon, spell crumbs. Whatever you say, cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not that much of a Western fan. I like science fiction. Ah, space boy. <laughs> yeah, oh, I figured as much. <laughs> Let me ask you something. How come you're asking so many jackassy questions? Oh, you see, my friends and I, we're driving across country. We're writing this book, actually, on uh, offbeat roadside attractions. You know, the, the crazy shit you see when you're driving across the country. I don't drive across country. But if you did. But I don't. Yeah, but just supposing for a second that you did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you little dickens, you. I know what your problem is. What's that? <laughs> Y'all think us folks from the country is real funny-like, don't you? Jerry? Yeah, well, saddle up the mule, Ma. Slide me some grits. I just got to get me some education. Jerry, <laughs> you asshole. No, no, I, I'm really very interested. I'm, I'm not trying to make fun. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, fuck these sides, Sally. Who the hell want to read about all this horse shit anyway? You'd be surprised. Son, look around. Would I be surprised? Again, this is like a masterclass in acting from Sid Haig. Like, just the way that he can change his tone so easily within the scene and that his facial expression just, like, it just drops and matches at the same time. This is this is why I say it's it's Hegg's movie, right? Just because you don't you get this in the Devil's Rejects, but I, just here it just seems because you don't know what the character turns out to be, right? And what he actually is, and the second one kind of confirms what you kind of think at the end of this one. You know, if there wasn't a sequel, I I still might have thought that he might have been a good guy. Who knows? And that's what I love about it, too, because you don't know how to gauge him, but he is so entertaining to watch. And short of him just coming out and being rude, he seems like a a weird but really nice guy. And I don't know, man. I mean, he's a scene stiller for sure. And it's so funny because I remember vividly when this came out thinking he was in it more than he actually is just because of the amount of performance you get from the limited time he's on screen. Yeah, and he gives some of the the best performances that you see in the whole movie. This this is one good scene. Later on, when we talk to Wydell, it's another great scene. Uh, and and that and it's not to to spoil talking about that, but it's the same thing. Just how his face changes and how his tone changes without moving much. Like it's just 
you even see it here. Like you feel the same way. And it, it doesn't help that the music is also kind of pounding at the same time. And it's changing along with his tone to that, you know, serious going to jokey. You get that dun, 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 like, and it's electronic-y and it's just kind of giving you that sense of danger that something's not quite right. And then it just turns out that, oh, he's fucking with you. It's a very Joker thing to do. And yes. that laugh he has, I'm just saying. Oh, well, you know, he maybe he was a Joker in his past life. Yeah, maybe he uh, maybe he was like Tim Curry. He auditioned for the Joker, but it was too creepy, so they just gave it to Mark Hamill. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but Mark Hamill still is a good Joker. And he is creepy. <laughs> yeah, he is creepy. Yeah, especially his later versions of the Joker. Much creepier. Um, and ages with the character, man. Yeah, it's great. Love it. Love it. Just so, like this movie, hundred percent. Yes, exactly. Everybody gives it their all. So now the boys got to convince the girls that they need to go on the murder ride with him, and it's not much of a convincing. It's just like, hey, you're going on the murder ride. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> hey, how like, about we don't? Hey, how about we do? <laughs> Stop being a bitch, Mary. <laughs> just go on the goddamn murder ride. Yeah, like she's still there. And then the, the other thing I have to ask you. Would you have been more surprised by what something happens later in the movie if you saw the crocodile boy and it actually was a crocodile boy? Like you see the crocodile boy and it looks like it's just wrapped up in bandages. Right. Right. You're like, is this foreshadowing? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, after you've seen the movie, you kind of like think about it. Well, maybe that was like a foreshadow thing, but it doesn't look like a boy. It just kind of looks like a crocodile. Right. Well, maybe the, maybe the crocodile came in looking for directions and yeah, maybe. He was talking, you know, tick-tocking in his stomach, and, you know, he had a hook that he had recently bit off, and he's like, shit, I gotta kill this guy. You know, he's gonna come after me. You know, Better calm down. I think Disney's gonna come after you. <laughs> I don't think so. They're gonna have to send Shmi to get me. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, they can they convince the girls to go on the murder ride, and that's where Spalding first takes them on the magical voyage of different killers. And so, Let's listen to just the first couple of killers that he talks about before we get into what's going to end up being the meat of the movie. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are about to enter world darkness. World where life and death are meaningless and pain is God. Woo! Hey, Billy, let's go. Yeah. Where are we? Where are we? I'm spawning. Especially the sexual 
Okay, so I didn't cut that right, <laughs> so you got a little clip for the other one. Uh, but so let's talk about who we get to see in this murder ride that he's got here, right? He's got you don't get to hear him talk about Lizzie Borden, but Lizzie Borden's there. You see her, yep. You, you see her, and she pops out and with the you know the axe and everything like that. Uh, you can't see me actually make the motion. But Dave can, and that's all that yeah, counts. We both made the motion, actually. <laughs> we both did. Uh, and then, so you've also got Albert Fish. Yes. And Albert Fish is a rough story, if you've never heard the story of Albert Fish. Uh, there's another podcast called The Time Suck Podcast, done by comedian Dan Cummings. Or I think it's it's either Cummings or Cummings, one of the two. Uh, but he he does a lot of, like, he picks a subject and he talks about it like me for hours on end. And he did a two-hour podcast on Albert Fish. He does a lot of serial killers and cults and stuff like that. It's it's interesting. It's done in a comedic way, but it's only one guy talking to you. So it's kind of like, well, I guess it's like me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it, it's a really fascinating story, but it is fucked up. The whole thing is fucked up. And then Ed Ginn is, is your last one. Um, there, two of them are cannibals, right? Cannibalistic nature. Uh, two of them uh, slaughtered women. Uh, but fish was more about kids, so mm-hmm. focusing on young girls uh, and boys as well at the same time. And Lizzie Borden, just uh, I don't know, where would you put her in the whole mix? Uh, killed men. <laughs> yeah, killed men. She killed her mother too, right? Did she? I, you know, she's my least versed out of all of them here, and that's something I was going to say too. Is when this movie came out, that was like the height of wanting to know as much as I can about true crime, because even in the back early 2000s, it was still on the uppity up as far as the exposure. Like, I think libraries were still a thing and you could do your research online, which was like, whoa, fancy. But I remember Ooh. in the early 2000s, they were putting out the straight to DVD serial killer movies. For instance, like, um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Jeremy Renner, who plays Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. He was Dahmer in the yes. Dahmer movie. And they had like, uh, you know, Corin Nemec played Speck and there was, you know, Gacy. And then they actually had Steve Railsback, who I love, who makes an appearance in Devil's Rejects. And he played Ed Gein. And that was my first exposure to Ed Gein. And of course, a lot of horror people know that Ed Gein was certain inspirations for like, you know, Psycho and, um, uh, help me, Hills, no, Hills, of Light, um, Silence of the Lambs and, Texas Chainsaw and all these wonderful things but it was fascinating to know like because at this time you know the social media thing wasn't a thing so if you were into this stuff you were just a freak that's all it was but then you see it idolized on the screen you're like yes like I know about that or I'm into that or whatever you know what I mean and I had known about Albert Fish and the needles in there and side note I died whenever Chris Hardwick is just like, how many neat, like, you know what he wanted to know. <laughs> how yeah. many needles can he fit into his growing? And, oh, save um, all questions till the end. Yeah. And then there are no fucking questions. No. <laughs> it's, it's like another scene in the movie that we'll get to, uh, <laughs> that I have issues with, but I, I, the just, it's kind of a weird set of serial killers, right? Like that are being, like you said, they're kind of being glorified. At the same time, like, 
you can tell that the the reason that he's he's doing this is because he has some type of either I'm not saying sick interest into what they are, uh, or it's just kind of like a fascination to create this murder ride of and to pick people that maybe don't have any relevance to him or the area. You know, like why is it these three that are like the famous people that I had to make a murder ride of? So when you say he, are you talking about Rob Zombie or Captain Spaulding? I'm talking about Spaulding. Okay. In, in this mm-hmm. case, like you could see Rob Zombie because the influence that these killers have on horror movies, sure. right? And I think that's the reason why he's he's focusing on one. You know, he's again in Texas, and with some of these movies take place in Texas, and so why not have the serial killers that are associated with these movies, you know? be the focal point of everything and him bringing in next his own serial killer monster to add to the mix. That is a local legend. Well, one thing that I love to say is the scenes, like, I don't know if it's messed up to have a favorite serial killer, right? Uh, But Ed Gein's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) And what I found amazing about this sequence here is the fact that Bill Mosley played Ed Gein in these cutscenes. Hmm. And, and then, like I, the smaller ones, when it's not the uh, the animatronic thing that was. Yeah, Bill Mosley's not the animatronic, though. I assume he could do it, <laughs> but well, yeah, when they probably. do the cut, the millimeter cut scenes, he looks so much like Ed Gein. It's scary, dude. But I just I love how Rob Zombie's going all in with this. And for some folks who may not be versed in true crime and they're seeing this for the first time, like. The relevance, I don't know, but I think that it's a very interesting pick of which serial killers he chose to to put on the foreground to show you because there are some horrifying stories in there, but you start to notice little connections in between and throughout because of what these serial killers did, hence like wearing people. Yes. And and they, they definitely do go back to the characters that he created it's both like an homage to the films and then it's showing you where he got the inspiration for the characters that were coming to meet soon. And it, that's where it's kind of a weird thing, you know, and you can definitely say that, you know, maybe he went in the right direction for the devil's rejects, you know, going away from what he did, because it seems like as, as we've moved on in this scene, that this is, what he was going for in doing a, I don't know, would you call it a monster movie or would you call it still a, like a, a psycho killer grindhouse type of movie? This one that we're talking about now, I use, it's a deadly combo, right? Because the movie definitely has an entire Texas chainsaw massacre vibe to it. Mm -hmm. But then as we'll get to like the last 20 minutes, totally flip it on its head. And I know my family specifically don't like the end of this movie and Mm -hmm. and the way that it switches from realistic to possibly unrealistic. Like, okay, we've definitely transitioned from serial killer to a haunted house movie, but I love it because it is what it is, man. It's the serial slasher psycho family combined with the haunted house creature feature movie. And I think when I look at this movie, like Rob, I don't know if he went out to say it, but there may not have been plans for a sequel or a trilogy for that matter. Like this may have been just a one shot deal. And the thing I love most about this movie is when you look at the scenery to the performances is 
I get the vibe of, okay, I got one chance to do this movie. I'm just going to give it my all in every category. And I think that's why we get so much of different things. Yeah. And I agree. And so let's go ahead and take a ride and meet Dr. Satan. Now, one of our local heroes, Esquinton Quail, a.k.a. Dr. Satan. Murderer, torturer, but most of all, master surgeon. Mr. Quail was an intern at Willows County Mental Hospital. Nicknamed Weeping Willows for the never-ending cries of pain. Through primitive brain surgery, Mr. Quail believed that he could create a race of superhumans from the mentally ill. Vigilante justice prevailed. They took his ass out and hung him. <laughs> and that infamous hanging tree is no more than a stone's throw away from where y'all's ass is now seated. The next day, his body was found to be missing. Until today, no trace of Dr. Satan has ever been discovered. But then who knows? Maybe he lives next door to you. Yes, that's how Chris Hardwick comes out of there. He's all excited of seeing the whole thing, and he's just gotta gotta get that Doctor Satan. Oh, so good, and I love how the scene ends with doors over, collect your chicken, get out, <laughs> just in yeah. the background, and he's done. <laughs> he's like, that's it. I did the tour. I did what I was supposed to do. He gave a hell of a performance uh, yes. to show everybody. And can you believe we're only fifteen minutes into this movie? Yeah, and you know what that makes me think of? Hey, Brian, uh, how long is this episode going to be? Oh, I don't know. It's been about an hour already since we've been recording. So let's see where we can go from here. <laughs> well, see, I was going to go somewhere to like a piece of string. That's oh, that's right. Long. It's going to be too, too goddamn long is what it is. <laughs> so Jerry goes back inside to talk to Spalding. And basically, he wants to know where this tree that supposedly dr satan was hung at i know it seems stupid but i really want to see this tree do yourself a favor son just forget about it oh come on i live for this shit <sighs> okay all right i'll draw you a damn map thank you i still say it's a waste of time yeah. all right you are here go straight up this road make the first right first left come straight across and down can't find it tough Here's your map. Right on. Here's your complimentary chicken. Oh, wow. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. You're going to get a great write-up for this. Yeah. Fuck, I love Christmas. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. I, I got I got fucking chicken. <laughs> Holy shit. Chicken. Yeah, I would do the same thing, though. I mean, the murder ride sold me, but you throw it in fried chicken, too. Man. Oh, wow. He almost did his best <laughs> own Wilson there. Oh, wow. Oh, no. <laughs> you know... It's crazy wow. to do a character study on Captain Spaulding because we don't know enough, but you can't tell what's going on because he's telling them to do one thing and then he's trying to stop them at the same time. Yeah, you don't he lets know. them make their own decision. He's like Jigsaw. Yeah, well, I guess that's a, probably the best comparison that you would have, right? Because you, you really, even by the end of the film, you don't know whether or not he's a good or a bad guy. Right. And here, it's just kind of like, well, look, you know, I'm going to tell you how to get there and what happens to you happens to you. If it, yeah. you know, 
this shit's stupid. I just have this thing. It's just entertainment. But you know what? Go here, 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 and here. And that's it. I mean, his map is fucking flawless. I mean, <laughs> it's just fucking lines. <laughs> I said that you drew a pentagram here. That's the way you go. <laughs> that's right. You're going to go up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, start. That's where you're going to go. <laughs> Sending them on the Konami code. <laughs> so they take off and they go off driving to this thing. Of course, the girls don't really want to go. They're kind of like, uh, whatever. But Jerry, he has to be there. He has to be a Jerry and just fucking go there. And it starts unexpectedly uh, pouring as they drive. Like, it seems like everything was fine. And I don't know if Texas skies are like Florida skies, but I doubt that they just open up and start pouring like crazy unless you know it's going to be coming and of course yeah, well, that's that's the thing about the weather here is uh the weather app can say one thing but you, you'll know when you go outside and another thing about bill and jerry is jerry he loved the ride and bill's like calm down it's all right and he's like yeah. don't play it down because you're in front of your chick and even in this scene where they're driving bill also shows no enthusiasm to go to this tree and it's all about jerry oh yeah Jerry's the one that's going to fuck everything up because on the side of the road, who do they see but baby. And this is where we get to meet baby for the first time when they pull over and they decide to pick her up. What should we stop? We can't leave her out here in the rain. Stick her in the front if you want to pick her up so bad. So, uh, where are you headed? I was just going home. Home? Where's that? A couple more miles up the road. So you live around here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, you know where this Dr. Satan tree is at? Yeah, you know where that's at. It's right by my house. I can show you. Really? So it is a real thing. <laughs> so, uh, a tree? What's that? Wood tree. Okay, that is crazy. She obviously doesn't know anything. Oh, I know. I'll show you where it's at. So before this too, and before we get into this, I forgot to mention that you also heard on the radio about the missing cheerleaders. Yes. That's like a big thing that that's happening that some cheerleaders got kidnapped and you know, they're just out there and nobody knows where they are. And it doesn't really seem like they are really paying attention to that as they drive. Right. It doesn't like cause any red flags or anything like that, that maybe I shouldn't pull over because they're too, especially Jerry's too into going finding this tree. Yeah, what tree? <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know, man, you talk about hearing about the cheerleaders on the radio and I'm like, man, I love that kind of detail that Rob puts in this movie. Like you're only catch it if you're paying attention to everything or now on your second or third watch the idea that they keep setting up for something and like you said more of the story is told through clips and even in this scene right here it ends with a transition where you're like oh well baby's not good yeah you you get that <laughs> right away it's just like she's basically saying their their people need to die <laughs> and <laughs> and you, kill him, you just kill them you just kill them they need killing hey and, guess what that guy needs killing just kill him and in what world do we live in where your girlfriend's in the back seat and you're picking up a female hitchhiker? Well, if you want her, you just keep her up front. Like, no, that would have never flown. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like that it, it doesn't even feel like she's in the front seat, to be honest. It feels like she's like in the back seat or in like a middle seat. 
Right in the middle seat, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, it doesn't... Seat. Yeah, exactly. Like, they just managed... Or maybe she's sitting on, like, the console. Like, they have a console right there, and she's kind of sitting, like, towards the back of it. Like, it just... It feels weird. Like, it's supposed to be the middle of the front seat, but it doesn't feel like it's the middle of the front seat. She's sitting on the console that you open up to get out your mixtapes. That's right. And then she manages to uh, start playing horrendous music in the next scene. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. so they drive along and as they're driving and they're getting close to where it is, then you see a guy in the distance wearing, you know, an animal skin head uh, and he has a long rifle. What does he do? Takes aim and he blows out their back tire. And then of course, it's very convenient that something just happens to be nearby and they have a tow truck. Oh, poop. Oh, ow. At least we got that spare. Yeah, but you filled it up like I asked, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, now, what if I forgot to put it back in the trunk? What would plan B entail? Jesus Christ, Jerry! Well, technically, I did what you said! Oh, for fucking sake, Jerry! What are we gonna do now? Oh, I can't rightly say if I know me, ladies. Forget it, I'm going. No, Bill, I guess you stay here. There's no sense in everyone getting drenched. Turning to the news, local authorities still have no leads in the mysterious disappearance of the five cheerleaders from Rugsville. The girls were last seen leaving a cheering competition. (laughs) (laughs) And there we go. There's another transition that uh, gives you uh, a very creepy, creepy Sherry Moon zombie with a cheerleader. Mm. Uh, It's. uh, yeah, so it's it's really convenient that she lives so close by and that they just happen to have their tire blown out. And again, this is all Jerry's fucking fault. Jerry didn't want to go see the tree. Jerry put the spare tire in the back of everything. They would have just dropped her off and fucking gone home. Yeah, it's, again, adds so much frustration but comedy to Chris Hardwick's character. Oh, yeah. Just the way he chooses to word it, like... Okay, um, well, I did do that, but assuming that I forgot, you, know, yeah. and you want to strangle Jerry because, as you mentioned here, he is the source of all these issues they're running into. It, it just seems like really ridiculous that it's, it's him that, I, I like how it comes out too when he sees a, ah, oh, poop, yeah. you know, he doesn't swear, he doesn't do anything, he's just like, He's like catching himself. And again, it's part of that. Like, I feel like that dialogue that shows that these are like the kind of innocent guys, right? Like he doesn't, none of them really swear until they're pushed to the fucking limit. Right. It's not like the Firefly family that just can throw off a motherfucker whenever they want it. They teach Ben some words. That's how much they swear. Exactly. He probably was stuck with them for a little while. He did spend some time in Texas. Remember that Mm -hmm. one year. Can't blame me. Yeah. Well, you know, you used to talk about a guy named Tiny, too, so. <laughs> well, that describes something else. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> so, it's also funny that, you know, Bill doesn't let Jerry go to the house. Like, you fucked up enough, so I'm yeah. going to fix your shit, you know? But when actuality, he probably should have just left 
Jerry fucking go because maybe nothing would have happened. I don't know. Because it's obvious that Baby here really wants something out of Jerry. Or Bill, not Jerry. Yeah, yeah. and the <laughs> more I think about it, dude, I'm just like, it, it put myself in those shoes. Like, yeah, I'd have been like, you're the reason we don't have the spare. You go. Yeah, I would have totally told you, like, where if you and I were in the car and we were driving and you'd fucking around and, you know, hadn't filled the spare tire with air like I'd expect you wouldn't. And then you just, you know, would say, but I did. Hey, I just forgot to put it in the trunk. Hey, well, fuck you. Uh, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> you. You go and here she is. We're stuck in the middle of the rain. I ain't walking in no fucking rain. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, it's I hate your water, fault. Brian. I'm not <laughs> going. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you've got low light vision in water, too, even though you were just out with me and said, oh, poop. <laughs> Uh, we're going to sleep it off. We'll get a tow truck in the morning. That's right. So you go from there, and he ends up going along with Baby and goes into the uh, the house, like, out in the middle of nowhere, mm. right? And so we also, as we get to the house, that's where we actually get to meet Otis for the very first time. Why, you in? Why is not the question. How? Now, that is a question worth examining. How could I, being born of such uh, conventional stock, arrive a leader of the rebellion, an escapist from a conformist world destined to find happiness only in that which cannot be explained? I brought you here for a reason. But unfortunately, you and your sentimental minds are doing me no good. My brain is frozen, locked. I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick incrustations dying on the surface. Oh, Christ. Fuck. So he's an interesting character in this movie. Like, he's, you can tell that there's something wrong with Otis, right? Played excellently by Bill Mosley. You know, again, this is, this puts it on the map for me. But I think it's the way, like, the difference between, I know we'll talk about a little more when we talk about Devil's Rejects. The difference between the two is that here, I feel like this is kind of like the backwards guy that thinks that he's talking sense, but is talking nonsense, Whereas in Devil's Rejects, I think that he's more talking sense out of the situations that he's in. Does that make it's, sense? It's probably because he had no beard in this movie, but then he had a beard in Devil's Rejects. And the beard just makes you smarter. It And look better. Oh, I mean, look a lot better. Like, he just kind of looks like ghastly <laughs> and gaunt in this We're movie. not judging. <laughs> no, not judging at all. Um, I think that the, it fits this character. It fits, it I think, that that type of character that... Um, uh, that Rob Zombie wanted to portray in in this movie that it is that Texas Chainsaw Massacre type of grindhouse character, the weirdos and everything. It's the like hillbilly that. look, man. It's the uh, I don't know if 2020 you can say white trash anymore, but that's kind of where I come from, so I'm gonna say it anyway. <laughs> but I'm kind of like like the the upper class of white trash, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> You're the upper echelon. When I drink my natty, I I put up my pinky. That's right. There ain't no natural light here, bro. <laughs> but what no, is it? Man, bush I, light? <laughs> no, no, uh, Miller light? I don't know. Um, 
but when I watched this several times and when you're well-versed on the trilogy and you look at the character development and the growth of Otis and seeing that this is where he starts, he's so raw in this, even oh, from yeah. his outfit, you know, like representing the American flag. And in here, he's so much more political than he ever is. And uh, with a small exception to three from hell, but I absolutely love Bill Mosley's vision of this character if you go on the DVD and watch like the audition reel, it's amazing to see real life Bill Mosley, who you would think worked like at a computer repair shop. I mean, just a nice clean cut looking guy who just, I don't know, man, like, I don't know. Just in the transition, just like we talk about Sid Haig's ability to act, watching him go from zero to a hundred in this with such aggression is amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because I follow Bill Mosley on Twitter and that's actually a very entertaining follow. And, you know, I think that some people think that he's similar to his character here and he's nothing like his character. Nothing. Here. And it's a very good follow too. You know, it, it it's, you just, I, I don't know how he got the performance, like how Rob Zombie got the performance out of him that he got for, for these movies. Like, it seems like in this one, you know, it, it just there's a, a switch that he he was able to kind of like reel in or toggle just right. Like he's got the treble and the bass, and he's just turning them just right so that they sound clear and it hits you in the right spots. But every once in a while, it's a little weird. Yeah, you know, you we get weird know feedback. It's all about the bass. No That's trouble. right. No, no treble at all. What? Well, what were see, we talking we're, about again? <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Bill Mosley. <laughs> but oh. the, the thing with him, with Otis, is he's a lot like like the energy level of his character Chop Top, but without the silly stuff. Yeah. The aggression, the anger, the, again, political stuff in here, it's all built into what Bill Mosley is delivering. And I know that, I, I do agree with you, that this very much is a Sid Haig movie, but you can see Bill Mosley's character like rising from out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. He becomes a scene stiller. And if anything else, you start to wonder because he is like a definitive serial killer in this movie. Oh, yeah. And and he he he's my second favorite character in this movie. Like him, him and Sid get about as much time in this movie. I think he's in it probably a little bit more than maybe Sid is. And he's got one of the bigger scenes, I would say, of the film. Uh, but it, it really is just quite amazing. Uh, and I, I probably could gush over it more and more and more. But yeah. you're right when you say that he is the, the quintessential serial killer. I mean, this scene is him talking to the cheerleaders that have been kidnapped. Right. And he's got them all tied up. And he's basically lecturing them, you know, about themselves and about how, oh, you know, here you are with your, you know, it almost sounds like he's talking, he's some guy talking to a bunch of teenagers, you and your lattes and your your pie pump boots and all this stuff. You don't know, you never worked a day of work in your life. You don't know what this is. But at the same time, he's got them all tied up and like, it's a captive audience to like, why does he need to tell them this? Like what, what good does it to like talk to these people in this way? He plays with his food before he eats it, man. Yeah, pretty much. So he's busy upstairs giving his feel uh, to the cheerleaders and you know, Bill and baby show up to the house. And right when 
he shows up. He's like, okay, well, are we going to talk to your brother? Oh, he's probably already got them already. You know, like it's crazy. Like you don't think anything is that wrong. Like he's just like, oh, okay. She's like, just come inside. And then they come inside. And then she brings him cocoa. And when she brings him cocoa, of course, there's a sexual innuendo that's going to go on. But it's the outfit that she's kind of wearing. She's already like in jammy jams. And you get mm-hmm. a nice shot of butt crack. There is some butt crack. <laughs> yeah. She comes in. And I don't remember if it before this, you also get to see some uh, Sherry Moon boob. But I think that might be a little later. That's in our cut scene with the skeleton. That is the cut scene with the skeleton. So let's uh, hear about what's the... Uh, not only the other tasty thing that uh, happens to be in this house. So, uh, you live alone here? I mean, just, uh, you, you and your brother? Nah, there's a bunch of us around somewhere. I think Otis is upstairs messing around or something. You got it with the marshmallows. That's amazing fun. Yeah, I guess. You sure do a lot of guessing. Thank you. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Look at him. He must have been going pretty fast to smash to that wall. <laughs> <laughs> you sure are silly for a guy with glasses. <clears throat> I like that. Oh, okay. Hey, need those to see. Thank you. All right. How do I look? Terrific, really. Mmm, <laughs> tasty. <laughs> Ain't the only thing tasty in this house. She's talking about her pussy. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the next little cutaway scene as we see her uh, making out with the skull. There and then is. you get the Sherry Moon boob. I made sure to write that down. It says in my notes, okay sherry moon boob (laughs) when you read the trivia on this it actually describes that scene as her masturbating with the skeleton oh lovely there's that (laughs) so that's there's part of the nc-17 rating that uh, Mm -hmm. probably was cut out of the film sounds like a music video might have been fun to watch could have been on the extras it could have been a deleted scene god damn it (laughs) (laughs) yeah those are usually unrated (laughs) that's right yeah, we've got some unrated deleted scenes on this. Uh, masturbating with a skeleton. What? <laughs> what What type of masturbation? Like The skeleton's masturbating. Oh, okay, so she's putting two fingers into the skeleton? <laughs> <laughs> better, two better make it three. Oh, she might be able to fit a whole fist in there. You never know. I mean, why not? Yeah, pretty much just bones. So you can put that fist anywhere. All the way up to the knee. Oh, that's terrible. Never go to the knee. <laughs> no, you never go back to front. Oh, that's right. That's right. I was front to back. The mouth for that. And then side to side. No, side to side is if it's Asian. What? What? <laughs> that sounds like a terrible, horrible joke that I have to tell you later when we're not recording <laughs> a podcast. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, the tow truck arrives at everybody else waiting back in the car. There's there's kind of a little bit, like, what I do enjoy is that he doesn't do, Rob doesn't do a whole lot of, like, jump scares in this movie. 
like the scares itself are really from the situations that everybody's in. And it's really punctuated by the music that is used throughout the movie, right? So when something gets kind of weird or tense, a certain type of music plays and that kind of gets you pumping of, oh my God, what's going to happen next? And so here's one of the rare parts where you actually do get that jump scare. Like they're sitting there, they're at the car, they're waiting for everything. And then all of a sudden here comes the brother and boom, when after they turn on the lights, who's outside? Who could it possibly be? There's somebody out there. Oh, it's just a tow truck driver. And he's banging on the hood. Yeah. Like, mm, mm, mm. Doesn't really talk either. No, he did. there's barely any dialogue from Rufus in this movie. Yeah, poor Rufus. He's got a terrible name and he doesn't get to speak. Well, at least he can go by RJ. That's true. What's the J stand for? Junior. Oh, Rufus Junior. So then who is Rufus Senior? And that's the problem that I nitpicked at this is even the dad's name is not Rufus. <laughs> no. So, dad's name is Earl. Right. Right? Which we'll <laughs> learn about in a little bit, but and and it's weird, doesn't I feel like things kind of change around too. And then I I know in some place, like I never really, maybe I want to say like knew or really realized that Otis is a stepbrother. Like I always kind of real, I always kind of thought that they were brother and sister in this. Yeah. That's the way they act. Yeah. But he came into the family. So he's not Earl's son or she's not Earl's daughter. I'll say what I think towards the end. Okay. We can go on from, from spoiler there. So. <laughs> spoiler free until we spoil it. Um, right. For a movie that came out in 2003. <laughs> hey, I'm hoping somebody out there hasn't seen it, and then we are going to make them want to watch it. We're going to be the ones that get them going after talking about this for five hours. Um, <laughs> and hey, we're going to get to a part of this movie that I know is your favorite scene, but you probably didn't know it's equally one of my favorite scenes, too. That's right. And maybe that's why we're doing it at this length. Um, so... Everybody comes inside the house, and that, of course, ruins Baby's good time with Bill over there, and it probably ruins Bill's good time with Baby, you know, because Mary, she definitely is a jealous bitch, like, just in general, like, but she also doesn't like Baby, like, Baby rubs her the wrong way, and for good reason, too, because Baby automatically, he, she knows how to rub her so that she gets angry or so that she doesn't, you know, because she's also ruining baby's good time at the same time. And can I talk about uh, Mary for a second? So sure. Mary is um, played by Jennifer Jostin, who was actually on Black Cat Shadow with us as well. We interviewed her. Oh, and yeah. And she was the first interview that I got to conduct when uh, Andy and I did it because I sought her out, but not for this movie. It's because she was in another movie in the late 90s called Milo that I absolutely adore. It doesn't age well, but being that I saw it when I was younger, her performance is awesome in it. It was one of her first starring roles. And then when I saw this, it kind of like, whoa, that's that's the girl from Milo. And so it was really cool to see her uh, in this movie pop up again. And I remember when I initially watched this, I, I don't know if you're going to feel the same way, but I, my opinion has changed over time, but I originally thought that the girls were miscast and they should have played opposites that maybe because I liked Jennifer Jostin, I felt like she was a name because she was in Milo first that she should have played the other girl. But as the movie goes, I kind of understand why certain choices were made. Yeah. I, I think that I'm okay 
with the the two actresses playing the roles that they're playing. I don't think that there's a reason why we want to, you know, that one might be a little better than the other in that particular role, because I do feel that um, the actress that plays Denise, who that's uh, Aaron Daniels, Aaron Daniels. There you go. I was trying to find it on my screen here because uh, I'm never good with actors' names <laughs> or characters for that matter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Aaron Daniels. Um, I feel that she has that kind of like homely look that we're kind of getting out of Denise that Mary doesn't have. Like she fits the the look of them. They, I think they fit the opposite or that character, a specific character. But maybe acting style, maybe I could have seen Mary as a little more of the pure one or right. a Jennifer Jocelyn um, instead of Aaron Daniels. But I do feel that the, since we don't hear as much from Aaron that we do from Jennifer, I feel like that it, she got the better role. Here's a little side note you might remember, but it's going to take you way back to the heyday of the Black Cat Shadow do you remember who Jennifer Jostin is married to? No. She's married to Pete Goldfinger, who is writing partners for Jigsaw and Piranha and House on Sorority Row with Josh Stolberg. Oh, so it's like six degrees of Josh Stolberg is that we're going through. That's the hashtag six degrees of Josh Stolberg. Here we go. <laughs> Remind me to add the hashtag to this uh, <laughs> when I put the episode out finally. <laughs> Let's do it. So they end up all sitting around and then from upstairs comes mama. And as Mary or actually Denise is trying to phone her dad or find a phone to phone her dad. That's where we get to meet mama for the very first time played by the wonderful Karen Black. Look, I gotta call my dad and tell him we're gonna be late. Can I use your phone, please? Hello? Ain't got one. Oh, hi. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you really don't have a phone? No. I once had one back in 57, but, um... I don't quite remember. See, there's nobody around here. I, I feel like jaw flapping out in the war. <laughs> um, say, do you think maybe the guy with the tow truck could drive us to a phone? His name is Rufus. Rufus Jr. But we, uh, we all call him RJ. Makes sense. What do they call you, sweetie? I am Qualsnarg of the Crab Nebula. <laughs> <laughs> but you humans can call me Jerry. <laughs> Baby, go and see how RJ's doing with his nice folks' automobile. Meanwhile, why don't you just all make yourselves to home? Oh, what brings you kids way out here? Why don't you got something better to do on Halloween than wander around out in the streets? I thought maybe we'd taken a hoedown. <laughs> no, he's he's just joking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just messing with you. It's, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Shut up, dude. Oh, I get it. Y'all just think you're too good for the simple pleasures of Halloween. No, just a little too old. Oh, really? Well, I hope something changes your mind. 
about RJ? He was gone before I seen him. Oh. But Tiny saw him and said he was going down to the yard to get a new wheel. Uh-huh. How long is that going to take? Mm. Probably be back in a couple of hours. Well, a couple of hours? Mary. What? Can't Tiny drive us to a phone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tiny ain't got no car. He ain't even got a bicycle. <laughs> well... Even though I know that you think it is childish, tonight is Halloween Eve. And to us, it is special. <laughs> so you are all invited to do So, at the end of it, do you kind of hear, instead of Halloween Eve, that tonight is Halloween-y? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, tonight is uh, Rob Zombie-ween. That's right. Tonight is Zampa Queen. Now, when I first saw the movie, I was mistaking her for Jennifer Coolidge. Because oh, really? they kind of look similar, at least in this, of the way that she's dressed up. But then mm-hmm. I was like, wait, that's not her. Like, and right. that was when I first saw the movie, like way back in the day. You know? And then I realized, no, that's Karen Black. That's not Jennifer Coolidge. Um, who, if you don't know that person, that's Stifler's mom from the American Pie movies. Right, and I can see that odd resemblance between the two. Um, but for people who may be new to the movie, right, with Karen Black, uh, Easy Rider, man, that was my first introduction. My uncle loves that movie, Easy Rider. I remember watching that movie. That's where I recognized her from. Uh, but then later, of course, Trilogy of Terror, which when I was thinking about that, I was like, Ryan, you should do Trilogy of Terror one day. Like, that would be a, a cool thing for the show. But uh, I have a special tie to uh, the 1986 remake of Invaders from Mars. So, gotta love it. And I think that she's excellent in this film as well. I think that she gives off the perfect, like, kind of innocent and kind of redneck type of, like, persona. Like, she, it's, you can tell that maybe it's a play on things, right? That she's being a lot slyer than she actually is letting on like letting them treat her like she's some type of like rhubarb that's out there. That's just a, you know, some slack jawed yokel that lives out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, I had a a phone back in the fifties, Yeah, you know? So there's obviously some play and they're just not catching on to what she has to say. You know, it's pure setup, man. Like as this movie goes on, you start to pick up on things in the background that signifies that this family has been doing this for years. Oh yeah. And it's absolutely nuts. And what these, these kids and how kind of innocent they are, like they don't realize that everything is just a setup to get them to, you know, where everything's going to end up being because they're in an area they're supposed to, if they didn't stop and pick up baby, everything would have been fine. That's it, man. But we know hitchhiking was okay. And it was big in the seventies, but yep. they're in a tourist trap. <laughs> Yeah, in more ways than one. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so they all decide that they're going to have, you know, at least dinner together for the first part. And we get to see Tiny for the very first time. And Tiny, of course, is a misnomer. Right. And Tiny is played by Matthew McGregory or Matthew McGrory. You can never say the last name. Hey, I keep wanting to say it. Yeah. I think it's Grory. Um, who I recognize from Big Fish. Like, that's right. that's my big focus for him. 
And it's sad because he he did this. And I think he was able to film his scenes for Devil's Rejects, but then that was it. Like he passed away shortly after. He had that disease of being too large. I forgot what they call it with the bones and everything. Yeah. And just yeah, because he's such an awesome character, and he reminds me a lot of oh, what's his name, Michael Berryman. Where and, and same with um, Irwin Keys, who's also in this movie, is the look of the character just screams, I'm perfect for a horror movie. Regardless of the character I'm playing, I am something or someone you're not going to forget. And Tiny's character is so interesting. And I know we're going to get into a little bit of backstory to his character, but I would love more if we could. Oh, yeah. I would have liked to seen a lot more of this guy. And seen, and kind of like he feels different than everybody else. And it's I think sentiment. it's, yeah, and I think it's because of what happened to him. Like that he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't act like everybody else acts, you know. Almost he seems like, like he's a victim himself. How, oh, yeah. So let's, let's go ahead then and hear about Tiny. What about Tiny? Well, kind of like, what about Bob? You'll have to forgive Tiny. He, he can't hear so much. <laughs> that poor baby. It's his daddy's fault. Well, I mean, Earl wasn't a bad man. He never hit me or nothing like that. One day, he just up and went devil on us all. What happened? Well, he tried to burn down the house. He said it was possessed by the spirits. And Tiny was sleeping in the basement room where the fire started. But I don't think Earl ever meant to harm us. Tiny was badly burnt. His ears were destroyed and most of his skin. Is that why he wears the mask? Yeah. My baby boy gets shy around new people. But he'll warm up to you. Especially the girls. (laughs) Oh, he's a real lady killer. So it's kind of crazy because... Like, kind of how we think about him, that last line, like, could that be something that he used to do, but right. doesn't do anymore because of everything that's gone down? Or is yeah. there something more? It's all set up from Karen Black. But you know what? There, this is amazing. I, I've talked to you about this, dude. I've seen this movie like 10 or 15 times. Mm-hmm. And it never dawned on me till right now and just listen to that clip again when she talked about his ears being burned off so i'm under the impression now he cannot hear Mm -hmm. and that completely makes sense because there's a scene in the movie where they have to write it down on paper and show it to him yeah and that's so simple and i'm just like "Er?" (laughs) yeah you went all tim allen for a second there i Uh did yep (laughs) but it's funny because there's still like later on in in one of the other scenes it's weird if he can't hear because I feel like he can read lips. I bet. I bet that he can too. And that's, that's kind of where I was going with, with the whole thing. I bet you there's some way that he could, uh, but at the same time, it's just, it does feel a little weird. And we do get to see Earl for the very first time in the little flashback of this and not knowing if he's actually going to be there. And like how she says, well, you know, he was, wasn't that bad. He didn't hit me or all. And then (laughs) he's like, tried to burn down the house, but I don't think that he meant to kill us. 
Right. Well, I love that. That's so cool because she talks about he's trying to burn down the evil spirits. Like he's haunted or possessed by something. And that just adds so much more character to who Earl is. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a character that you don't know if you're going to ever see because she doesn't... She says it in a way like Earl's no longer with us. Right. And the thing is about this scene, and I'm glad we're making a big deal about it, is because if you blink, you miss it. The visual is doesn't last long, but it's really important if you remember this scene. Yes, it's very, very important. So they are all now sitting around the table, and she's making them all wear the masks, right? And they're all these terrible, terrible masks. Homemade. Homemade. Homemade masks. And you know, uncle is there, uh, who is, 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 is that grandpa? I thought they call him uncle at one point too. I no, think Otis grandpa. does, but it's grandpa. So grandpa Hugo, right? Yes. And, and that's play. He's played by Dennis Fimple. Yes. And so I, he is one guy that I don't have a reference for. So he doesn't have, a. A super famous resume. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of TV. He was in the pilot episode of Knight Rider. Uh, played a cop. It's when you watch that, you'll be like, "Oh, it's Grandpa Hugo." <laughs> um, but he was in the 1976 King Kong, and he was in the right. uh, 70s creature feature called Creature of Black Lake. So he does do things, but just I think alone, just the Creature of the Black Lake and King Kong from 76. I think that right there gets Rob Zombie's attention. And. He, this is his last movie, right? It is. That he did, unfortunately. And even the beginning, yeah, in the beginning it says dedicated to, uh, you know, Dennis Fimple. So, and and honestly, it's it's a small part, but I kind of like Grandpa Hugo. He's awesome. He's hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's not what everybody else is, right? And, and we'll definitely get into uh, the routine uh, when it does finally come up in just a little bit. So they basically are getting their masks on, or else, as Grandpa says, we ain't going to have dessert if you don't put the goddamn mask on. Right. You know? And, he wants to eat. And that's when Otis comes down, and he brings with him a cousin, a nephew. Man, I'm thinking brother? Like, it's not specific, the name was Leroy, if I'm not mistaken. It's Leroy, so. which is, is it an aborted baby in a jar? What is it? But it's family. And that's all you need to know because she kisses the jar. And at this point, everybody just has this disgusted, shocking look on their face. But as I'm watching this as a viewer, I'm like, yep, sideshow. There it is. Yeah. And the other thing I'm thinking about is how, like, whose fetus is it? Like, is it because he's a rapist and a murderer? Like, did he keep one of the girls and that's a fetus that he ripped out of one of the girls? Like, and that's mm. where it's like, oh, it's baby, you know, baby Joel over here and or baby Leroy. And right. it's a, it's like a prize of his. He didn't have, you know, the kid wasn't born. He just took the kid and now that's the kid that he wants. I see it more as a sibling to him. Like it's Karen Black's child. Okay. And it's not explained. So it's, it's not open to interpretation, which is a lovely thing. When you get to do that, you can create your own story in your mind. But just the idea that 
I mean, it's a bit part. It's there's no really big deal to it, but it's something that's added in there to just keep you going. Like, how much more demented is this going to get? Oh yeah, and it's it even gets worse as again Jerry he has to bring up Doctor Satan at the dinner table. Nah, I don't know. Who told you your fairy fables about Dr. Satan? Oh, we heard it from uh, Captain Spaulding up the road at him. <laughs> that old bitch hog don't know shit. Oh, he tells his cute little tattletale, sell his junk. He don't sell no Yankee boys, no truth. Yeah, but I mean, something happened, right? I mean, it had to be based on some real incident. What are you, Jimmy Olsen? Cub reporter for the Daily Asshole? Grandpa, watch your language. I don't think you really need to know. Better you leave here with your head still full of kitty cats and puppy dogs. <clears throat> well, I, I really would like to know. I mean, hey, he'd really like to know. Enlighten him! Well, I bet you'd stick your head in the fire if I told you you could see hell. Meanwhile, you're too stupid to realize you got a demon sticking out your ass singing, Holy Miss Moly, got me alive, boy. <laughs> Beetlejuice is coming? That's right. I'll only say that <laughs> once, by the way. Okay. Yeah, we don't need to see the B, the B word uh, very often. But oh, man. It's, it's a great little scene that we have here. And I know I cut out a lot of it because I, I didn't really, again... The, the beginning of the movie is so heavy with, like, longer scenes because... And, and it's one of those situations where... I don't want to just like cut it all entirely. Other like the the murder ride is perfect because there is a pause in between it before we start the Doctor Satan thing. But most of the other stuff, there the Rob Zombie is so dialogue heavy that it's it's important to get everything that you're kind of getting out of this. This one because there's too big of a cut in the middle. I felt this was the best portion of it because again you get to see how Otis is. They, they kind of think he's full of shit, but he's mm-hmm. he's telling them exactly what they need to know. And basically telling them, you've already fucked up, and it's too late for you. Yeah, and I love the little nitpicking he does about Captain Spaulding, because mm-hmm. you're introduced to the idea that he knows who that is instantly. And on first watch, you're not paying much attention to that. You're like, oh, well, small town, that's the gas station they probably go to but there's so much more. Oh yeah. And and the thing is, is that again, as we talk and get towards the ending of the film, I feel it's like left up to interpretation, but kind of goes a specific way because there is a sequel to this movie. Right. Right. And here it's just kind of like, well, what do you know about Spalding? Like, like what about him pisses you off? Cause it seems like it's not a very good relationship that you two have with each other. It's kind of like one of those uh, apartment guys. How did you hear about us? Like, oh, yeah. okay. Check here. Check. You know, <laughs> like they're going to give Captain Spaulding something for sending him the meat. That's right. And he's going to get that trip advisory, you know, two-star review for, for his place. And, and eventually, well, you know, the murder ride wasn't very good, but that fried chicken make you want to mm. smack your mama. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong movie. <laughs> so how about we go ahead and we do – some of that routine. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. And I want you to give your best Jerry when we come out of this. 
Tell you a little story. Eat your wives, pussy! I'll eat in your face! She starts licking and chomping on her pussy, and she's screaming and yelling, and she just... That, that routine. Oh, he's yes. Jerry is just laughing up a he's storm. Eating it up. Oh, he's loving it. Intended. He's just like, oh, grandma's pussy. Oh! <laughs> I like that too. What? <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you know, at some point, Rob Zombie's like, Chris, I just want you to go out on this. Just go crazy. Oh, just, just enjoy. And you think that he's really caught off guard. I feel like they're going to do this routine. And they didn't give them, like, certain people the script to get, like, natural reactions out of them. Because right. I really feel that that's a natural reaction that you're getting from heartbreaking the scene. Like, it doesn't seem like he's out of it. Whereas it, there is, like, that playoff with uh, Denise and her being kind of disgusted that mm-hmm. he, she, he's laughing so much at it. But, you know, I think that Hardwick is really, like, something's catching him off and he caught him in a real-life moment when it was done. Like, yeah absolutely and mary as well like she's disgusted by the joke you know oh yeah she's just she's just pissed off well she gets even more pissed off because the lights get turned down low the music mm. begins to play and baby comes out all dressed up and there is a little scene before this happens as well where you see her with one of the cheerleaders as she's getting ready for the show and such spell b a b y what's that spell with that right. bell, baby, you uh-huh. damn right. Oh, I, love I don't it. know why they call you cheerleaders. You haven't brought me one ounce of cheer since you've been here. <laughs> That's right. I love her character, man. Oh, oh. I think it's just like it's the character, but it's like the voice that she makes that's just really that. It's a love or hate yeah. thing. It is what it is. But it's it's not that I I hate the the character, you know, as it's built. It's just I hate the way it's played. Maybe I, I mean, her name's Baby, and she yeah. kind of talks like a baby. I think that's more oh, of um, just character choice. That that's more of a on the nose type of representation of the character. Right. Where yeah. you know the name's Otis. I, I don't know how, how that's going to be on the nose. <laughs> He's about definitely Otis. an Otis. <laughs> oh man! But we, you we are definitely talk about an Otis. The scene that we're getting into, though, because I'm curious on your thoughts. So. This is one of those I'm I'm intrigued on how it's shot scenes. Okay. Right? And the way and why he wanted to do it in this type of like view. Like it could easily be just more like reaction shots. Like okay. here we're focusing on her dancing and then right. we go cut over to Rain Wilson and his reaction. And as she gets close from behind, then we cut over. Like, you could do a lot of, like, I'm not talking, like, taking three levels of, like, cut shots where everything's jumping for every five fucking seconds. Like, there's the one scene where he's jumping over the fence and it's, like, 17 different jump shots that happen as he's doing that. I'm not saying that you need to do that. But I think that I was expecting it to be more like that. Like, 
reaction to the action that's going on. But you get that weird mirror effect right. that he does. And it's not that I'm saying that it's mirrored on both sides of the screen. It really looks like you're looking at her through a mirror when you it see does. the opposite side. I love Sherry's performance in this because it's clear as day that it's a Betty Boop reference, mm-hmm. right? Um, and she's singing the song, I Want to Be Loved by You, which I know originally was sung by Helen Kane. And it's it's old, man. It's 28 or something like that. It's an old song, but everybody knows it. I know Marilyn Monroe was famous for reprising it in Some Like It Hot, but I'm watching this. And again, I'm just get goosebumps because I'm like, man, Rob Zombie loves this old stuff. Like, I just, I feel like he's doing this scene for me. You know what I mean? I'm watching Mm -hmm. it and I'm looking at Bill. And of course he's like heavily attracted into this because there's nothing like this. Oh yeah. And I think that this plays into one of the scenes later in the film because, and you hit the, the nail on the head that it's not being performed like Marilyn Monroe. No, this is definitely like a Betty Boop thing. Like that feeling is there. And I don't think that comes across to our characters, you know, where it needs to. Right. And the sequence, this entire sequence, like with grandpa and baby, it's got that carnival-esque vibe to it. Mm -hmm. And knowing that Rob Zombie grew up in that carny life, you just kind of see it like he was there firsthand for a lot of this stuff, definitely later in years, but now he's putting it out here and these people are getting a show that they've never been to a carnival. You, you know, these people, right. But the way that it's being presented, like it's horrifying in front of their eyes and they can't see the fear that's in front of them. They just can't, they kind of take it as, well, this is just weird. Right. Right. It's like, okay, we're sitting in this audience where there's all these weird dolls And they're not, you know, and even like when you first see them come up to the house and there's a bunch of dolls hanging outside and baby's like, I used to chop off their heads and stick them up against the thing when I was a kid. Like, (laughs) that's not a red fucking flag to you at all. And here you're sitting here and you're in this audience that they prepared. Like they're, this family is doing this huge performance piece, right? Between the comedy and the dancing here that is a little focused towards you. But if they weren't focused towards you, it's to an imaginary crowd. Right. And it's like, why are they doing this? Like, yes, they celebrate Halloween, but are they specifically putting on a show for you because it's a setup for something that's about to happen? And we get that reaction with baby because we mentioned how our characters go from zero to 100. So quick, Mary gets defensive, right? I believe it's Mary and pushes her and she immediately pulls out that switchblade. Oh yeah, I'm gonna cut your tits off. Like that's that's the immediate reaction that's going on there. That she yeah. she like she snaps. Like she's she's in that mode of seducing Bill yes. because that's what she wants to do. Because she's kind of playing like the the Venus flytrap, and he's the fly, and she's luring him in. And you can see that it's working. Like she kind of did it to Jerry, but Jerry's just having fun with the situation. Right. He's not attracted to her. You know, that's not what's being played there. He's just like, man, this is this is weird and wild, and I can't believe that we're here doing this. This is great. Yeah. You know, that's his whole he you know, just like with the, the grandpa, like the, the routine is is quite dumb, but he's laughing his ass off because he's just enthralled in the situation. Whereas Bill, he's really like under her thrall at that point. 
yeah, Jerry feels like they've stumbled upon the greatest roadside attraction ever. Exactly. And so, you know, Mary wants her off of Bill and throws her to the ground. She pulls out the knife and tells her she's going to cut her tits off. And that's when Rufus shows up and says, your car is fixed. I think that might be the only line he has in the entire movie. I, I, that's the only full sentence he has. True. There might be another thing that he says later on. But they all decide, oh, good, we need to get the fuck out of here. And so they all pile into the car. They start to leave. And that's when Baby slams herself against the car. Of course, her and Mama Firefly, they start chuckling about everything because they know what's going to happen. And she's like, I love you, Mama. You know, and like, that's that doesn't mean anything. They're doomed. Yeah, Yeah, for them. And so they drive along. They try to get out of there. And eventually they get to the gate. And, you know, Bill's like, I got over the gate. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way we're going to get out. And then who happens upon them? While Otis dressed like a scarecrow. Love it. And he beats the living shit out of Bill. Yeah. And it's that's pretty brutal. That whole attack on him. Like, just the way that he just swings the bat and the, the bashes he takes to the back of the head and he just gets dropped like a sack of potatoes. And Jerry gets out of the car, too, trying to help. And he he's no good either. They're just not a match for everybody there. No, and we get to see Tiny. Yep. And it's Tiny that throws him against the car, right? Oh, choke slams that, too. Yeah, he just... Uh, see, when I first saw it, I thought it was Rufus for some reason for a second. But then it turns out that it's just Tiny. And again... With Rufus, in regards to him, when he goes and picks them up for the first time, he's wearing, like, that animal headpiece. What mm-hmm. tow truck driver is going to arrive wearing something like that? Like, oh, that's the also ones not in Texas. A... Oh, the ones in Texas, too? Yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, so El Paso. this is a common... Oh, <laughs> this is out in the West. If you, you have guys a don't remember... in El Paso that is really mad right now, I deeply apologize, and you can send your hate on Twitter to at UnjustJustin. <laughs> Well, I'm pretty sure that, you know, if they're out there in El Paso, they know exactly what's going on uh, with with these guys out there. Uh, But yeah, it's just, it's weird that everything that they just don't realize, like the flags, and they could have just been like, you know what, we'll, we'll hang out in the car. We don't need to come inside, you know. Oh, don't worry about it. We'll just walk down, back down to Spalding's and get a tow truck from there. But no, they're they're in here. Now they're in a, a whole heap of shit. So I have a side question. Do we got time for a side question? Sure. We got plenty of time. (laughs) Okay. So we know how this is the turning point for the movie, right? This is Mm -hmm. when our characters are officially trapped and we're about to go through the torture of what happens to them. Right. And I found myself thinking, okay, I know how they got here. How do you think they got all the cheerleaders though? I mean, was there like a school bus broke down and they kidnapped them all? They seriously they didn't go out and get them one by one. I don't see Otis going to the football game and trying no. to pick up the young cheerleaders, you know. But it's so interesting to me that they got so many of them. So I think in a little bit, they were kidnapped, right? So they right. all had to be together. And my thought would be something in the lines of, okay, the football game is done. It's dark. And they all pick him up, you know, or they all like, it could be something like baby went to the football game and said, Hey, can you guys give me a ride home? Or maybe there's somebody that she knows. And that's the same thing. They just got captured after that. 
Or it could be that they broke down and they went out to help him because he's the only tow truck in the area. Otis went with him. They picked him up and then oh, just brought him back there. You don't think it was a scenario like Girl Scouts where they're selling cheerleader cookies? No. No, it could also be, you know, because we did see Otis cross-dress for a second and right on top of one of the cheerleaders. He could have gone on and tried out for cheerleading. He got rejected, and he just decided, you know what? You can't treat me like this. Cheer is my life. Otis doesn't handle rejection. No, not at all. And and I think that it's it's weird because, like, he he's such a – he seems like the guy that – the moment that like, like he turned because somebody rejected him in some way. Right. Well, you know, we and then it becomes that person in school. I rejected society because society rejected me. <laughs> I hope that's not an Otis impression. No, that's just, that's, that's as close to redneck as I'm going to get. Yeah. Um, yeehaw. But okay. So basically the girls get captured. They try to close the door. They're unable to close the door and everybody's now been captured by the firefly clan. Right. So yep. from here, we, we go on till morning and we see that uh, it's Mary is with Otis and she's wearing a dunce cap. And and I have something to say once this scene is done. Shut your mouth. I said shut your fucking mouth. Listen, you Malibu middle class Barbie piece of shit. I'm trying to summer break well i ain't talking about no goddamn white socks with mickey mouse on one side and donald duck on the other i ain't reading no funny books mama our bodies come and go but this blood is forever now i'm gonna remove your game but make so much as a fucking pee i'm gonna cut you like a pig and make you eat your own fucking intestines you got me why are you why are you doing this to me why are you doing this doing what messy up your day where's bill where's bill bill is he okay he's a good guy oh he's been a great help to me a real blessing I couldn't have asked for a better specimen. You don't know what kind of dry spell I've had here. Total block! Total block! But Bill, he's okay. Where is he? Okay, so she made a fucking peep. Why didn't he just fucking gut her right there and make her eat her own intestines? Well, you know what it's like, man, when you create a masterpiece you want to show it off regardless yeah i guess he could have done it afterwards but still he basically told her he told her straight up hey if you say one peep just one i'm gonna gut you and he doesn't follow through but she never said the word peep like we can get technical we could but you know what he means the noise (laughs) saying anything i think it's a difference i i think that the way she's conversing with him versus screaming for help would set him off. 
And that's and that's probably what it is. But I want to take this literal. <laughs> yeah, and I mean you're right. You're definitely not wrong. But I don't want to ruin the scene because I too want to know what happens to Bill. Well, you know, Bill, he's there. Uh, he just happens to be in the background. We do do a little bit of a you know a reversal of time. Let's go back for a second, and we see that he's there in the room and he's all chained up, and Baby is laughing along with Otis. And they're just having a good time. And Otis takes his little hatchet and mm. chops off his arm or his hand Oof. right yeah. at the wrist. And then he starts putting it in his face, like putting it up there and like touching himself like it's the little hand from Scary Movie 2. <laughs> and nobody <laughs> wants to fucking grab it. And he's like, oh, not that hand. No. Oh, Chris Elliott. No. <laughs> and then so then you know, he goes ahead and he starts chopping him up, you know, and we cut away and we cut back. And then that's when Otis shows Mary what happened to Bill and what happened to Bill, Dave. I think it's foreshadowed, man, because earlier you said, I don't know why we get these serial killers, but the first one was Albert Fish and Bill has now become Fish Boy. That's right. And we also saw Croc Boy, which wasn't half Croc, half Boy. But I, and that's where I wish that mm-hmm. we could have actually seen something like that. Cause that would have been a cool tieback and maybe they couldn't have made, you know, to, cause this is really fucking cool. This is something that I would want to put in my house somewhere. Well, you, you know? can't cause uh, that's really Rain Wilson there. I really wish that we could. I'll take <laughs> Rain Wilson. He, he can chill in my house wearing the mermaid costume. Yeah, well, I mean, he's too popular now. He's off making movies like The Meg. Oh, that's right. And yeah. and The Rocker. Oh. <laughs> you know, I laughed so hard in that movie when he was partying like a rock star and he goes to throw the TV out the window. Oh, man, it just kills me. But for anybody who doesn't know, watch The Rocker. It's a comedy, Rain Wilson, and it's slapstick. Yeah. What do you need? Though if you really want to see a good Rain Wilson movie, I'd watch Super. That's that's fantastic. Or House of a Thousand Corpses. Or House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, I watched that too. But it's it's crazy. Like, I really wish, though, that we had <laughs> some type of fish. I didn't mean to rhyme like that, but at least something in... Dr. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Dr. Terror. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Satan! But I really wish we had some things like that in Spalding's, like, museum. Because then that could have given you an inkling of where everything kind of went to, you know, and then you would have had another, well, are they connected? Was he really setting them up? Like, how did he come across this? Or is that just something that he just found somewhere? You know, it would have been cool to have something like that. But then at the same time, it's also kind of cool that they made fun of Crockboy, and mm-hmm. then he becomes, because of the way Crockboy looks, and then he becomes Fishboy. Yeah, and I, and again, I think it's just, giving a little bit to the audience without revealing too much yeah i i can't agree with that and so mary she freaks the fuck out and you know we we go on from there so now i'm lost time to edit <laughs> probably have to edit at this point uh let's see so where are we after this is this where let's see uh, 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 uh. speeding. Yep, so we've just saw Fish Boy. Oh, you know what we did skip is the whole thing with Don Willis 
and Don Willis calls the cops. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I can just mention it. So, uh, I don't know how to do, like... So, the one thing that we did forget that it happened shortly before this, and I apologize, I'm going a little out of order, is the fact that Don Willis, the father of uh, Denise... Denise, <laughs> Denise Willis... Uh, he realizes <laughs> that she hasn't shown up because, you know, on the way there before they left Spalding's place, she said, oh, we stopped off at this little thing. We're going to be, you know, on our way. And so, you know, when they didn't arrive at 11 o'clock the night before, then he realized that something was up and that, you know, hey, I'm going to call the cops in the area and we're going to make sure that they find Denise. Yep. So, so after this, then we go back over to Spalding's because the cops are now like the deputies are on the case. And this is where we get to see Walter Goggins for the very first time. And we also get to see uh, Tom, is it towels? Towels. Towels. Who plays George Whitell. And then that's Steve uh, Nash over there. Uh, Walter Goggins, a Walton Goggins. I always want to say Walter, but it's Uh, Walter sounds natural. Yeah. I think that's the reason why I really like Walton Goggins and it's not because I watch like justified or anything like that. He's always in Tarantino stuff. And I love him when he does like the Tarantino shit, like uh, what's that one, the the Western that was done recently. Django Uh, Unchained or Django uh, hateful eight. His character in hateful eight is really, really fantastic. Um, Isn't he in, uh, someone's yelling at us right now, uh, a big TV show. Was it Sons Sons Anarchy or? He was on Justified. Yeah, but there's another one. Well, he's also in The Unicorn, which is out right now. Not that one. (laughs) But Uh, he's also in uh, the cop show with uh, the guy that played uh, the thing, not the thing, but, you know, um, Fantastic Four. Uh, Fucking A, that cop show. I cannot remember the life of me. Oh, oh, yeah. the, the shield. The, ha, yes. ha, I remember that's the big. That's the other big show that he was on. But that's it's. I think that's around this time too. Two thousand three. It's probably around the time of the shield. Well, it's um, funny because uh, you mentioned liking Walton. I actually am a big Tom Towles fan, so we like so, both deputies. Yeah, and they're they're good for what they do in this movie. I mean, they're not in it for very long, uh, but uh, this is them walking in to Captain Spaulding's to get some information on where Denise may be. Red flag anybody run a joint like this. Sweet baby Jesus. Girls jerking up on that bell out there ready to go. When I come out, I'm going to rip your nuts off. <laughs> officers, officers, what can I do for you? I ain't fired up the birds yet if that's what you've been ring-a-ding-banging about. I need you to answer some questions about some missing kids. Oh, I don't know nothing about nothing. You see, I'm the kind of guy just minds his own business, if you get what I'm saying. You seen this girl, say, in the last 24 hours? <laughs> yeah, yeah, cute kid. Uh, ain't my type, though. You know, I like him with a little more meat on him. <laughs> the bigger the cushion, the sweeter the pushing. <laughs> hey, look, clown ass, just answer the damn question. We ain't interested in your love life, all right? Cut the crap spalling and just give with the facts. Huh? What did you see? Who was she with? Where was she going? I don't know. She was with some stupid kids. They nosing around asking a bunch of stupid questions. Questions about what? I don't know. This and that. Mostly a bunch of tired Dr. Satan bullshit. They caught a gander at the display in the back, and they figured they was going to run out and solve the great Deadwood mystery. 
And how'd they get that idea? I wrote them a map. Well, out to the old farm road, you know. I figured what the hell wouldn't do no harm. Besides, <laughs> it's good for my tourist trade. <laughs> you can ship ten bricks for all I care. What else? Nothing. Stupid-ass kids probably got themselves turning around ass backwards and got themselves lost. Is that all? And I want you to think real hard. Well, I don't rightly know. See, they wasn't here long enough for me to get up close and personal with them like I do most assholes that come wandering in here. How about you wreck them same damn directions out for me, then? All right, don't get all true grit on my ass. You can knock yourself silly for all I care. Enough talk. Right. So these two scenes kind of back-to-back that are going to happen, this one and the little next one, have my two favorite shirts in the entire movie. The oh, fact yes. that he's wearing, like, the, the pigs, you know, on there, and it says, <laughs> pigs is beautiful. It's yeah. pigs with a Z. And then he's talking to the cops right there. Uh, and it's definitely, you know, a knock on the police and everything like that. I just like the design of the shirt that that they're using there. But this is that other scene that I I talk about, Sid Haig, that that change to when he goes serious. Like, his face doesn't move. He is not afraid of the cops, Brian. But whenever he acts like he is, it's a total act. Like, you could see right through that. Yeah. It's, It's beautiful. It's beautiful what he does. And it really is like, it's just that that easy switch with everything that goes on, you know, and the fact that he's just like, he goes from being like lovable and kind of like silly, funny to whew, super serious yeah. and not right much back. movement. Yeah. Right back over them. They start asking like assholes. He's going to be an asshole right back. Yeah. And then, you know, he's just like, you know, it's not worth it. I'm just going to go ahead and do whatever they want, you know. But you know, like you said, you know that he really doesn't give a shit. Putting on a facade. Yep. So it's it's a fun little scene that you see. And it's really like this is the last time that we see Spalding until the very end of the movie. Right. And I did fact check. Uh, Walton is in like six episodes of Sons of Anarchy. So I was thinking, oh, wow. right, it's just so not a, a major role. But the thing about Tom Towles is a lot of horror fans should recognize him right away from Henry of a portrait, you know, portrait of a serial killer where he's not Henry. He's Otis, ironically. That's funny. <laughs> but it is funny, but he also, uh, he was in Night of the Living Dead, the 1990 version. And he's also in the Stuart Gordon pit in the pendulum. So oh, wow. a lot that's, of cool stuff. That's crazy. I, I think about it and I think back to Henry portrait of a serial killer and that just looks nothing like him here. Like, right, just I mean, you have wait. to know that you're looking for him. Yeah, and man, that's that's absolutely nuts because I really liked what he did in that film. Oh, it's you hate him so much. Oh, I love that film so much. Yes, not you the know, second one. <laughs> I did not see the second one. I only saw the first <laughs> one. So they go off and they're going to go towards the Firefly Farm to basically, hopefully, find more information out. Well, they're going to go out into the area of the tree, right? That that he was leading them to. He doesn't know that they went to the Firefly place just yet. Um, and so we cut over and we see that Jerry is now sitting in. Well, first, before we get to the Jerry scene, we go down into the basement, I would say, of the Firefly place. Um, 
and we see Tiny. And we see that he's got, and that's Denise that's all chained right. up to the bed, right? Because yeah. this is where it's like, is it Mary? Is it Denise? Is it Mary? Is it Denise? Well, she, she's painted up a little bit, too. Like, she's got yeah. some terribly done makeup on. Yeah, and she's dressed up in the cheerleader outfit, right? Right. It's almost ragdoll looking in a way. Yeah, it's it's kind of creepy, kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. But uh, you you see her; she's struggling a little bit. She doesn't realize that she's there. And then Tiny comes in the room with his like dog food bowl, wearing my <laughs> second favorite shirt of the movie, the cheap ass Halloween costume shirt. Yeah, which I need to find. I haven't Dude. been able to find that shirt anywhere. Did you see the cereal he was eating? What was he eating? It, it was a play on words. It was Agatha Crispies instead of <laughs> Agatha Christie, the yeah writer. Um, I did not notice that. It's hilarious. And it's funny. I actually have a favorite shirt in this movie as well, but it's not one of the two you mentioned. What's your favorite shirt? There's another one that Spalding wears that says, if I wanted to hear an asshole, I'd fart. <laughs> I forgot about that shirt. <laughs> we so, need to back in time podcast, make these shirts. That's right. Put them up there. Let's get some sales. Or, Neil, come on. Help us with shirts. Uh, <laughs> so, he basically lets her go. Like, she asks him, let me go. And this is where I guess where I'm kind of like, okay, well, if he can read lips, okay, we'll just assume that, right? It's a movie. Let's just move on from there. She's but if he doesn't have begging ears, for, to be let go. I mean, Well, yeah, and it's like he has a heart, right? Like, he, he slammed the shit out of uh, you know Jerry onto the car and help them get captured, but with women it seems like he's got some like you know especially women a in distress spot. a soft spot for him. Well, unlike and other people, also you have to think that maybe he's alone right now, so he's acting more like himself. Where in the presence of Otis, it seems like he does whatever Otis tells him to do. Yeah, and it really feels like you know maybe he's not the bad guy that everybody else is. Right. Which which is good, cause, and it's weird because you don't get a whole lot of, you know, there's no dialogue from Otis, and it's all more facial expression or just his motions that he's going through. So you get this, it's a good performance because you can feel that from the character, and even lets her go, he's just like, shoes he her off. At her. Yeah. Go, bye, I'll see you later. Yep. And then, of course, Otis comes around the corner and captures her. Yeah, he, he grabs her and he, he kind of just looks at Tiny, just like, really? And, and Tiny's just like, uh. And he, he takes Denise and he opens up this little gated section and he throws her in there and closes it. So you're like, okay, he's locking her in a cage. Mm-hmm. But then, like, she gets tackled by three. It looks like three women in there. You can't really tell well, but uh, it can't be good. No, but it even says, I think, feeding time when he throws yeah. her in there. Yeah, and so, no. like, what are they doing? Like, and it's one of those weird scenes where it's kind of like, it seems nonsensical. Like, okay, you throw her into the cage, but why do they attack her? And then she's like, okay, later. Like, if it was feeding time, what were they feeding on? You know? Well, you know. Grandma's pussy. I get it. That's it. (laughs) So Another fish reference. There we go. Uh, (laughs) Upstairs, uh, we now see Jerry, and he's in baby's room. And there's that sweet, and I mean sweet fucking creature from the Black Lagoon, like wall art that's up there in a room. And I'm like, I want to live there. Not with baby. You can get rid of baby. I'll just live in the room with that poster. 
Yeah, that thing takes up the whole wall. And I know they filmed this on the Universal lot so they can get away with having that display, but it looks amazing. Oh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely wonderful. It's a and vivid it's weird, green and yellow. Because everything else that's kind of in the house, there's all these weird like drawings and like it's the one sane thing that you see up on the wall. Like, yeah. but not truly sane. You know, and in the still. movie, whenever they're watching the tube television, you can see uh, like House of Frankenstein and their scenes of the Wolfman. They show like the old dark house and stuff like that. All these universal pictures. And then you notice, Brian, the best looking one is Creature from the Black Lagoon, which I know you and I really appreciate. Of course. And that's one of my favorite universal monsters ever. And you gave me the ability well you asked me to do the the creature movies for those things so and talked about all three option. yep yeah <laughs> you have to do it <laughs> they were reserved sir so you have baby come into the room and that's where she starts playing around with jerry and this is what i was talking about earlier when i was saying that he should have realized that she wasn't dancing like marilyn monroe Poopy pants? What's new? Where the fuck is Bill? Where's Denise? You can't keep us here! Shut up! Hey, you wanna play a guessing game? Guess what number I'm thinking of. Eat shit and die. <laughs> no, wait, please! Come on, stop it! What do you want? What do you want from me? What do you want please from me? Please be quiet, I don't wanna slip! <laughs> One more. If you get this right, I'll let you go. If you get it wrong, you are fucked. Okay, who is my favorite movie star? I don't know. M- Marilyn Monroe. Hmm. No, Betty Davis. Sorry, you lose. <laughs> it's funny at the same time because she really takes that like, huh. Into consideration, yeah. Yeah. You know what, I... I do kind of like Marilyn Monroe, but right. no, Betty Davis. <laughs> or the answer was Marilyn Monroe, and she's like, no, I really want to kill you, Betty Davis. Oh, yeah, I just, I want to scalp you. That's exactly what I want to do, <laughs> right? It's it's not even, it's like, and even when she cuts his hair for the first time, she's just like, now be careful. I don't want to slip. Like, Yeah, I don't want you to slip either. <laughs> like, wait, aren't you going to kill him anyway? Like. Right. No, but you, you. This is the the fun. This is the love of the game that she has for this. You know, is to basically, I'm gonna kill you. You know, but I want to mess around with you first. Hey, Brian, so, what's your favorite Betty Davis movie, and why is it What Happened to Baby Jane? Because What Happened to Baby Jane is very, very awesome, and the backstory behind it is great. It is Pepsi Cola. That's right, Pepsi Cola. <laughs> Oh, man. And and also because Susan Sarandon played an excellent Betty Davis uh, in that show. Yeah. Oof. Oof. I, I Oof. can't believe you haven't seen that. You need to see hey, that. Hey, don't rat me out to the world. <laughs> At least I've seen the source material. That's true. That's true. Whatever Happened Baby Jane is a great movie. I wonder if that's in public domain. Is that in public domain? I doubt it. It's way too popular. Nah, well, hopefully it's but, not. Hey, we could do it anyway. We could. We could. Well, yeah. I'd, I'd love to show that to people. Um so from here, we kind of have a long series of things that, that happen, right? And basically, uh, we have the, the guys, and they're basically 
you know, the deputies are out there and they meet up with the dad, right? Because first they go out and they find the car, right? Unless I'm going way out of order. I'm going out well, of order. So they, they're stopped and they're waiting for him to pull up. Yes. And when he gets there, it's funny because Steve uh, Nash, which is such a weird name, uh, Walter Goggins' character, he's mad. Like He's like, well, he better not get in my way. That's all I'm saying. But we, we realize the sheriff who is named Sheriff Huston, who is the cop we didn't see in the beginning, but we saw his car, he allowed Denise's dad to join them, which would never happen today, uh, and ride in a car because oh, yeah. he's an ex-cop. Yes, and that he, you know, it's his daughter that's missing out there, so he needs to make sure that he gets him. And now before this, they did find their car, right? And that's that's a very interesting scene in general because they, you know, the car got beat to shit, and it looks like they damaged it even more, and it looks like right. it was damaged on purpose, right? Right. Well, and clearly they, things were added to it. Yeah, they, definitely, because they left the keys out in the open, right, yeah. for the car. So they're like, well, let's see what's in the trunk, if anything's in the trunk. Because they think that, hey, maybe Denise is in the trunk, Ugh. you know? And, of course, it's not Denise. It's a treat. <laughs> <laughs> or trick. Or, or trick. But it's, it's carved into the poor cheerleader's flesh yeah. treat. Yeah. And she's there in the back of the car, and everybody's just like, ugh. You know, and that's, that's where when uh, the, the father shows up, uh, Mr. Willis – he comes up and he's like, what about the girl that was found in the car? Right. You know, that's like right. one of his first things. What's up with that? And, and they and then, really don't know. Well, yeah. And then Tom Towles character, uh, deputy Wydell, he looks over and he's like, you know about that? Yeah. Like he's shocked that he's on the inside. But again, I, I think, you know, cops get together. Right. So yeah. small town, I'm sure everybody knows everybody. Yeah. And so probably before he got there, he's like, well, okay, you found my daughter's car. I need to go out there. And like, did you find her in it? And then probably said, no, there's, you know, there was a dead body in there, but it wasn't your daughter. Right. You know, so from here, you know, basically we have a little bit, this is, let's let them talk it out. And then there's a little bit of what some might consider filler. And I want to talk about that as well. Must be him. Mr. Willis? Yes, sir. I'm Wydell. This here is Nash. How you doing, sir? Donald Willis. Any leads? Well, we were on our way out to check on a couple of farms out on the edge of town. It's about our only lead up to this point. What about this body you found? You know about that? Local girl, Karen Murphy. One cheerleaders went missing last week. And that's it? Well, we know the kids were on their way out to a place the locals called Deadwood. Yeah, they wanted to play Nancy Drew with this local legend that people called Dr. Satan. This is insane. Don't you worry about it. We'll find her, all right? My name is Louis Gova, and I know this man, but I, I, I know the truth. You don't have to go to hell. You're in hell. This is hell. This is hell. This is hell. So that's the part that I remember watching it for the first time, and I was like, what? why is this in here? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure this is where you expect me to throw out the knowledge. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely where I expect you to throw out the knowledge versus me. <laughs> this is where I'm lacking because um, I delve more into a lot of who's who in this movie. But uh-huh. 
the thing about Rob Zombie is he's so split down the middle, right? So like sometimes you're going to get things just for the hell of it, but then sometimes things just have so much more um, cultural reference or what's the word I'm looking for? Like it's based on something that's more like an urban legend already. And I think a lot of this is pulled from actual crazy people. Yeah. Except for maybe the skunk ape thing. I don't know how true that is. (laughs) I just, it's weird. This is definitely a weird little thing to use as a transition. Right. You know, because you go from basically, you know, you're in hell and that's exactly what's going to be happening to these characters. Right. So we're getting a little bit of a preview that as they step into that world, that's hell. Right. You're in hell. This is it. I know where this is. It's right here. And he's got his sign, and he's meaning here, there. But for us as an audience, it's more or less where the majority of everything is taking place is the way that I'm interpreting it, right? Okay. They're going to enter hell, and they're going to pay the consequences for entering hell. They sure are. And so this is, uh, there's, this is something where I wanted to pull audio from, but I don't feel like it does it justice to pull the audio in the way that it's done. I think it's more of, and we're gonna. This is this is one of my favorite sequences in the entire movie, if not my favorite sequence in the entire movie. Uh, and it has a lot to do with the way the sound is set up, the way the scenes are set up between the characters, um, and just kind of how it it has that scene at the end of it that is I feel so iconic, and people feel much differently than I do about the scene. <laughs> you know, not everybody likes this scene. Now, some people it feels like it's way too much, but I just, I don't know. I love it. This is one of those ones. Uh, so they enter the farm and Wydell decides to go to the front door to see if he can see anybody there and if they have any questions. We see that uh, Steve and uh, Mr. Willis, they are going to go explore the rest of the farm. It's weird that they are kind of... Uh, off on their own right mm-hmm. you would have thought that maybe all three of them would have just gone together and yeah that'd or be that i don't know maybe more cops yeah more you know, than just these missing, ones yeah and especially because you've already found a body so clearly something is wrong but in this sequence when they split up and walton goggins is walking with denise's dad you notice that Denise's dad is actually leading the way. Like his ex-cop is kicking in and we start to notice, like we've already kind of figured out Steve, you know, Walter Goggins character. And he, he's really rude. He's straight to the point. He's got that like eager. I don't take shit from nobody deputy, but here now that he's in the mix of the situation, he's cowering down a little bit and every little thing is scaring him. And we hear stories about, you know, he almost got his pinky, pinky toe. Uh, what is, what am I trying to say? Pinky, that's pinky, pinky yeah. toe bit off by a cocker spaniel, you know, yeah, his, his little teeth. piggy. Yeah. His little piggy almost <laughs> went bye bye. That one really went to the market. Uh, uh, man, uh, it is very late recording this. I am sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. But, but no, it, and it's just, it's such a crazy twist of character because you know that it's heartbreaking too, that the one guy is looking for his missing daughter. Yeah. He's looking for his missing daughter. And uh, you're right about Steve and that character, because he is really like a, um, it's, 
he's almost like he's like a rookie that's yes. trying to think that he's bigger than he actually is because I'm one of the few cops in this area and I managed to do it and look at me. I'm, I'm so big cause I'm a cop. But then when he gets in the situation, he's like, Oh shit. He's like, he's like a scared little kid. And they yes. even walk through that one room too, where it's all the lady shoes, all the mm-hmm. place. And then he's just like, man, you would think they'd have like a garage there or something like right. that. Doesn't like, like trigger something in your head. <laughs> Why are there all these ladies only shoes dangling hanging around strung from the walls sitting on the floor there's tons something is up yeah yeah and he's like these pack rats don't throw anything away yeah and the the other thing that happens too is that we see them watching uh uncle hugo or grandpa hugo and odors are watching the monsters right yes. and they're watching the episode with the dragula yes. you know which is call back to rob zombie himself that's that's the one thing i you know that's kind of like oh okay i get it you have to do it once um but they, you know, Mama Firefly comes up. She's like, there's cops here. And so Otis hands her a gun and says, go downstairs and talk with the cop. I'll take care of the other ones outside. And so Wydell comes inside. You know, well, he kind of forces his way inside. Because he asks her first, have you seen this girl? And he holds up the picture of Denise. And she's like, no. And then I want to come inside and ask you some more questions, show you some more pictures. And she's like, no. <laughs> and tries to close the door on him. And then eventually, you know, he he convinces he convinces he her. Yeah, yeah he, he insists to come in and she's like, All right, well I know it's gonna happen to you. You know, so come on in and let's just yeah. go with it. I love his performance as the the, the cop here. Um Oh yeah. It, I, it's totally 100% believable and it's such a polar opposite role than what he played in Henry portrait of a serial killer. And I want to see more of this Tom Towles and this sequence is so fascinating because there's really great chemistry between him and Karen black mm-hmm. as they're sitting there. And like, there's a scene it cuts away and it cuts back and they're both smiling and cracking jokes and almost for a split second, you believe he's safe. Yeah. You think that he's going to get away. And then well, also we've had no reason to see Karen Black's character be badass yet. No. And everything's been like, a setup. She looked like she was really worried too. When she saw Otis, like she didn't want to deal with the cops. Like, I don't know how yeah. to do it. I can't do this. Don't worry about it. And then the next sequence changes everything. And, and so you have, you have Goggins and Will Wilson or sorry, Willis, they approach uh, a barn door and it's closed and they hear noises. So the, he goes and gets a crowbar and this starts the whole sequence, which oh. is just beautiful, like the way it's done. So there's no sound as they crack open the barn door. And then when it opens up, you see a bunch of dead girls. And now is that Mary that's in the it's center? Mary. It is Mary. See, is Mary. I, I was always trying to figure out whether or not it was an act, one of the characters or just a random girl. No, it's it's all the cheerleaders dead and pretty much nude. And yep. then we have Mary, who's half nude, and she's in her undergarments, and she's chained up almost like crucifix style. Yes. And so that freaks both of them the fuck out. And Goggins gets on his radio, and this all now is turned into slow motion. And, right. well, and, and you've got no the country sound. song playing yeah, in you, the background. Yeah, you've got the country song playing in the background, and he calls into the radio and then it quickly flips over to uh to Wydell with Mama Firefly and it's in full and it's in regular motion, regular speed. And he's and you hear him, it's a scream that he's trying to call him, 
And that's when it, then again, as the killing's going to start, it goes to slow motion so that she takes out the gun and just fires one <laughs> shot right through basically the back of his head. Yeah. And, and kills Wydell instantly. And then we cut back over and the father is just reeling back in horror. And he looks like he's going about to go run away. And then Oda shoots him in the back. Yes. Which is all done in slow motion as well. And it's just, it's painful to watch because you see the pure terror on his face. He's never seen anything like this before. Right. And he's like, that's my daughter's friend. Where's my daughter? Well, we're even accompanied to, at some point, the flashback sequence, right, right when he's shot, it's like things are going through his head. And we see like him and Denise and their mom at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, to, to anybody who can put themselves in those shoes, like it's extremely heartbreaking uh, for it to end this way for him. And it's amazing because we, you mentioned how Goggins is like a rookie and he is pissing himself terrified. Yeah. And he sees that the, the father now has taken a bunch of bullets and that he tries to hightail it out of there, but out pops Otis and holds him at gunpoint. And now we don't get to hear a single thing that is said. We just get to hear the music play out. And we know that he's telling, he's instructing him to do stuff because he tells him to get on his knees. And you think, you know, it's, it's to be assumed that Steve is, he's basically asking, don't kill me. You know, he knows what's, he's pleading for his life. He's, he doesn't want this to end this way. And Otis just isn't having anything of it. And so as the music fades out, you have this giant pan just up into the sky and it keeps going further and further and further. And it's just silence. And it's silence for a good, what, 30 seconds to maybe a minute. It's forever in a day. And it feels forever. If you're not paying attention, you feel like it's frozen. Yeah. Because it reels back so slow, but I love, and I know you would gush on this scene heavily, and I feel like you have, but it it fully captures that farm in frame, and it shows how it's just them two right here, and you're hanging on every second. And you don't know what exactly is going to happen. You know, you is he going to get away? Is he going to let him go? But, of course, that's not it, because the only sound that you hear next is the sound of the barrel and the bullet coming out of it and killing Steve right there and then. Because you may have thought that maybe he could get out of it, but then you have to realize that, no. Basically, it's that entire moment that you probably, you probably like just like it played out, you know, at the end of it, it's only a second for him to pull the trigger and to, to, to blow his brains out. And you don't see any blood splatter. All you see is smoke, which I love too. Like, that's what comes out from the back of his head. But the entire pan out, to me, feels like it's the time that he's having to recollect that or or get into the mind frame that he is going to die. That takes away the ability to have the quick death that a gunshot provides. And, yeah, I mean, we mentioned earlier how Otis plays with his food before he eats it. And I've made the same reference to, like, Freddy Cougar and stuff like that. But this is a prime example because you're watching him toy with this guy. He's dangling on on a hook and he knows the whole time he's going to shoot the guy, but 
Goggins just has every hope in the world that he's going to survive. He puts his weapon down and it's amazing that Rob envisioned such a scene so well, because I a hundred percent agree with you. I love this scene. And I remember seeing it in theater and it was just me and my buddy. And had there been more people in there, I know people would have started talking out loud. Like what's happening. Is it broke? Like what the hell? But I'm just what's, like, what's this graduated. Right. And if you haven't figured it out by now, like Rob Zombie is going to do whatever he wants and it doesn't satisfy everybody's taste, but it clearly satisfied ours and it's just executed so well. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing in the way that it's, it's done it. And this is seeing it with two of my friends at the time. They did not like it. They're like, what? this is a ridiculous scene. Like, sure, why does this take too long? Like, mm-hmm. why didn't you just kill him right away? And I remember the first time, like, I didn't hate it, but I'm like, there's a lot more behind this that makes me want to investigate it more. Like, after seeing, like, a lot of these weird cuts and these, like, music video style transitions, this truly is an artistic shot. And it's, this is special in the way that he wants to, you to see something specific. And he wants you to focus in on what's going on and to give you the same feeling. Cause just like a movie that holds on to the tension forever and doesn't give you that jump scare so that you can get out of it. You are made to feel uncomfortable in the situation because you just want this to end. Just shoot right. the guy already. Right. So are you on the side of, Oh my God, like how much, and it sucks for this character to get toyed with this much till the, sh- the shot is done, even though it's, it's probably all just slow motion and, and he kept the film speed like that. Or you're on the side of Otis. Well, why don't you just fucking kill him already? You know, just just do it. Don't play with your fucking food. Just do it like you're his dad scolding him. You know, trying right. to teach him the right way. So it, it's it's a really fun scene to look at. I think as we've grown older, we watch it in a sense of like you said, noticing. Like you watch it the first time and you're appreciating it as a horror movie, but then the more you watch it and you're paying attention to detail, you're looking at it from Rob's point of view and respecting it from a filmmaker's choice. And I love it because it's not something he wears out. Like we talk about the graphic scenes or whatever, and this scene's not really graphic at all, but it feels just as horrible because of the tension, because of the way it's shot. And it makes you feel extremely uncomfortable because like you said, one way or another, you're relating to one of these characters. So after we've had this scene, then we're going to go over and we're going to go visit. Well, because it's Halloween night and we got to get fucked up too. We're going to visit that pussy liquor. Let me take a guess here. Y'all having a Halloween party tonight. Uh, What makes you think that, big boy? Well, you sure are buying a whole mess of holy water for two people. Yeah, we like to get fucked up and do (laughs) fucked up shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like to get fucked up too and do some fucked up shit. Yeah, I bet you do. How much we owe you, Goober? Actually, it's it's G. Ober for Jerry Ober, but the new guy, Ronald, in the back. He drew in that other O and made Goober. Fucking asshole. Great story, Goober. How much will ya? Well, the damage is quite severe. $185. That ain't gonna break my bank, honey. Here, keep the chain and go get yourself a new name, Goober. Holy dog, I will. Thank you. You all drive safe. Thanks for coming in to Red Hot Pussy Liquor. So, this is such an odd scene. Like... 
I get it. It's like that weird transition over because we just had these like kind of serious things, and all of a sudden it's like, oh hey, let's go, let's go get fucked up. We need to go get that that fucking liquor and get get all done. Yeah, I I love the scene. It lets Rob Zombie be able to say pussy liquor, but spell it different. <laughs> and it's funny because you're like, does this place actually exist? Like, not the one from the movie, but you have to wonder like somebody has had to had this idea before this is amazing and uh, it's not relevant in 2020 but in 2003 i would think the adult store was still a thing but it's hilarious and again like g obert and his name tag is goober mm-hmm. it's it's a running gag it's hilarious and i'm thinking she gave him what 200 bucks you know maybe 30 yeah. dollar tip yeah i think they probably did that they gave her you know i'm kind of wondering like where are they getting all this money? And then I remembered, oh yeah, they're killers. So they probably stole it off well, somebody. I got you covered. So on this scene, and I'm not meaning to go backwards, but on this scene, whenever mom Firefly was telling Otis, the cops had shown up in that room when he's given her the gun. If you look in the background, you'll see all of the wallets and purses like oh, there you go. stuck to the wall. And there's all the money. Yep. That's right. That's where I was kind of like, huh, where'd you get all that? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Firefly Clan. Yeah, okay. I know exactly <laughs> what they did. Uh, so from here, now we're going to get ready for the big night. And so we get scenes of like that, the transition type thing and, and like one of those scenes that might have been shot maybe with a 16 millimeter camera or, or, or where it was, but you see that Otis is doing something to Denise's dad. Hmm. And what is he doing? And he already had, you know, they said that well, Otis is gonna told us that he's gonna have the best costume that he's ever had before, and we look downstairs and we see that Jerry, Denise, and Mary—they're all dressed up in rabbit costumes. Yes, and they're all hanging by a rope uh, in the center of the room from the ceiling. They're not being hung by their necks, but it's just wrapped around them and they're dangling there. Yeah, and it looks like they're tied to a totem pole or something. Yeah, that had to have—I I imagine if they were actually hanging there like that—that that had to have hurt. You know, because the rope's got to be digging into you because, you know, they don't weigh that much. But still, you're hanging from the ceiling from a, a you know, whatever yeah. that is. Uh, it's now this person chandelier that they've created that's mm-hmm. going to be there on the bottom. And that's when Otis comes into scene. And this is Bill Mosley's, like, big moment for everything where we find out who's your daddy. I'm the one who brings the Christmas candy. Now tell me, who's your daddy? I'm the one who brings the devil's brandy. Who is your daddy? I'm the one who beats you when you're bad. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy?
that last, it still sounds so great to hear him say that line. And just that scene in general, as he's coming out and he's got the face of the father and he's got the chest of the father there. And it, it, it seems like it's kind of cheesy, just like the stuff that he's, he's kind of saying, but it's how he delivers it without you ever seeing his face. Yeah. Until that reveal where he lifts up the skin and then he tells you the boogeyman's real. And yeah, just the, and that look in his eyes. The camera's close up on him. Like he's in the audience's face. And it's at this point that you completely get like what Otis is. Like, you know, he wasn't a good guy. He's cutting up cheerleaders with a razor. Now he's shooting everybody. And now he's literally becoming Ed Gein where he's wearing the skin and his sick humor where he's, you know, he's wearing the father and he's like, give daddy some sugar. And dude, it's so funny. Cause every time I hear this clip and I hear Karen and Karen black in the background, she's like, and I'm just thinking she's drunker to high heaven, dude. Uh, well, I keep hearing who's your daddy, not who is your daddy. Oh, like, who's your being, <laughs> yeah. Being, you know, redneck in the state of uh, Missouri. Uh, but <laughs> it, it's, it's just funny. Like, the the scene and this is where we also have the the third act that is the hit or miss for most people True. right yep. and and to me i'm going to be right up front it's a little bit of a miss to me okay uh, and and this is where it loses like where i rate it it loses a little bit for me but i like what leads up to it's not saying that i don't like moments of it but i you have this like character study of this family that i feel so far and now you're going to bring in dr satan like that we only heard about a little bit in the beginning and you know i'm interested but i think the execution is not where it needs to be because but i think that it's really due to him having to cut a lot of shit yeah my uh i I plugged this earlier in the podcast my aunt and uncle who are pretty much like my parents feel the same way as you do um, they love this movie up until the Dr. Satan point, And they feel like it shifts gears a little bit and they would have wanted it to stay more of the Firefly family, just killing people, whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I beg to differ and we'll talk about it. So the first thing that happens, they all go out into the field, right? And they have everybody there and they're all surrounded and they're talking about how they're going to, you know, basically give them to Dr. Satan right? Otis has this little speech that's out there. And then while Otis is giving a speech, Mary decides that she's going to run away. And so they send baby after her. And eventually they end up, she ends up in like a graveyard with all the crosses that are surrounding her. And we get this scene, but I, I, I've never really understood the last part of the scene. And we'll talk, I guess, about it once we come back. Oh, 
And I still don't quite understand the end of that segment. Now, not not just the last couple of lines that she says, because it seems like it could have ended before that little bit, and it made at least somewhat sense. I, and I get it. This is this is uh, you know baby's shining moment in the film, right. and this is Sherry Moon's shining moment in the film. Because I really like the way that this part is played out, and especially for baby's character, right? I think it all fits well. I think that her getting, you know, she told her she's going to stab a bitch. And what does she do? She stabs a bitch. She does. She doesn't cut her titties off though. No, she doesn't do that, but she still gets what she wanted to get out of her early in the film when she fucked up her performance. Oh, and rabbits don't have titties, right? No, that's true. Um, It's funny when we interviewed Jennifer Justin, this was the scene they hated the most, both of them because there were snakes in the field so they had to oh, hire geez. a wrangler to actually clear out all the snakes first and be like on guard and the craziest thing which is something i also love about rob and sherry is they are not who they reflect as characters like rob zombie whose real name is robert cummings is a vegan and he's not like this ultraviolet like he's a cool oh, yeah. dude but you know and same thing with sherry so much so that she actually hates doing kill scenes in movies and yeah. she said this was such a hard scene for her to film. And it's funny because I think that she really did get the blood in her mouth in that spitting scene. I feel is real. Oh yeah. Like, cause you can see it's just flying everywhere. And then, then, cause it's funny. Cause after she spits the blood out during that little section, then she licks the blood and it's like, well, why'd you spit the blood out in the first place? But I think that's because <laughs> like, that was the best cut of it. And she really did spit the blood and they <laughs> just kept it in like, yeah. okay. Yeah. I guess it makes it feel more real. And more raw, but what do you think the that those last lines mean? I didn't dig too deep into it. Initially, I feel like it's fodder um, for the Run Rabbit Run music, mm-hmm. and I, I mean they all run like scared little rabbits, right? Like that just yeah. makes sense. But at points, you wonder if is it an um, Alice in Wonderland reference or or what? You know. Yeah, I just, I've never really kind of gotten it. And like, I can kind of get it in the beginning before she continues and finishes the, the, the lines. Basically that, you know, the rabbit's in the yard eating everything and the princess caught her and the princess basically killed her. And right. then the last little section is like, what? Like, this makes yeah. no sense. You know? Maybe if somebody, a listener out there knows this part, I we would love to hear from yeah. you. Please let Please. me know. Yeah. So... After this, we go back over and we see that Jerry and Denise together are put into a coffin and they're lowered into the lair of Dr. Satan. They're getting put into like a black pool of water. Tiny lights a lantern, or is it RJ that lights the lantern? One of them, I think it's RJ too. And then they lower the lantern into the, the area below. And that's where we get to see a lot of the House of a Thousand Corpses because all the corpses happen to be downstairs. And so... All of a sudden, a bunch of like minions or zombies, I don't know what you want to call them, they all like come out of the water and the walls and break open the, the coffin and drag Jerry away, leaving her to fend for herself. 
I love this scene. I think this is, like you said, part of where people start to pull away because it gets kind of supernaturally or whatnot. Um, but they lower in that tape recorder. Yeah. And, and they playing start playing the message. And the message is actually a recording from Aleister Crowley oh. from back in the late 1800s. He was a occultist and like a poet and everything. And the thing that he's saying is bury me in an open grave. And that's exactly what's happening in the scene. Really? I thought it was dead men tell no tales. <laughs> dead men tell no tales. Oh, we're not on Pirates? We're not on Pirates. So what is it with you and all these Disney references? <laughs> I don't know. Disney and Rob Zombie go so well together. Um, Dude, I would totally be on board with a Rob Zombie's vision of a Disney film. Any Disney film. Rob yeah, Zombie just frozen. Here we go. I say maybe They're talking about doing a live action Black Cauldron movie, so maybe we give it to Rob Zombie and see what happens. His version of the Horn King would be excellent. Bring in Tim Burton just for fun. That's right. So she basically now is left to wander the hallways of whatever this place is, these catacombs that are down below the farm. And there's that awesome like bone um, chandelier Mm -hmm. that's in the air. Um, And I think that's kind of reminiscent of the, those caverns uh, in Europe that they have, or the church that's like all the bone church. It's all like all these things that are made from that. Uh, That's what just reminds me of. And then she comes upon a door and there's a guy that comes over there and opens up the door for her. Very nice. Very gentleman-like zombie. Well, you know. That zombie character, the aesthetics of him looks like the guy on the cover of the movie. Yes. And, And we do see more people too that kind of look like the guys that are on the cover. And there's that really cool shot too where she kind of looks down the hallway and it looks like it's a hall of mirrors, but yes. it's not a hall of mirrors. I really do like that shot. Tunnel as well. vision and everything. It's yeah. Awesome. And see, I was getting vibes of Texas chainsaw with furniture made of bones, but I was also getting vibes as we go through these scenes of Texas chainsaw two, because there's underground cavern scenes under a mine. And so it's pretty awesome stuff. So she goes into the room that's been opened for her. And she sees that there's a bunch of patients that are just kind of, and they've all been worked on in some way, shape or form. And we see that on the TV, there's some more of the, the guy from the beginning of the movie. Like he's kind of like, it's playing, it's kind of like flickering. There's other things that are kind of going on. And she looks over and there, sitting in the operating table is good old Jerry. And Jerry is being operated on while he's alive. And I I forgot what that's called. And it happens to be, Dr. Satan. Yes. But what, oh, it's called, it's vivisected. That's the name. He's being vivisected. Um, and that's basically when they're, they're doing surgery to you while you're, you're alive. You know, if you like have brain work and, you know, sometimes like, yeah, that one video a while ago where the lady, she was told to play the violin while she was getting her brain worked on. But Oof. he's, uh, you know, he's not given any type of anesthetic or any type of like life support. He's just being, <laughs> worked on by Dr. Satan. Yeah. And I, I love the way Dr. Satan looks. Don't yes. get me wrong. I, I think it's really cool. I think it's a very cool costume that they came up with. It, it's definitely really creepy. Um, is he, what is he speaking? Do you know? I don't know the language that he's speaking. It's not clear. Um, but one thing that I did read that was really cool was originally they had scripted Dr. Satan to be revealed as Grandpa. Yes. And I was like, I like that idea. Yeah, that but... would have been 
weird and then it, it would have made sense right dennis he didn't have the physical uh, i don't want to say structure but opposing factor like he was a little guy where this guy was like in this huge harness and he's strapped up almost like a, a puppet so mm-hmm. to speak but I love the aesthetics of it. It's almost got an Otis look where he's got the thinnest long hair coming down and he's got the little face mask piece. You know, he's bits for 2020. But uh, yeah, I don't know what language he's speaking, but I want to now. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Satan, social distancing before the rest of the world was. <laughs> not with Jerry, though. <laughs> no, not with Jerry. He's definitely up and close. But, you know, he's got his own breather. Maybe he has COPD and he needs that to survive, you know? So. Of course, he calls for his assistant to yes. come down and take, you know, capture Denise over here. And that happens to be Earl. The professor. The, the professor that we heard from earlier in the film that set fire to Tiny. Oh. So that's Tiny's dad and the ex-husband of Mama Firefly. Yes. And, and it's, I think it's, I think he looks good. I think that the, for what the budget is and the outfit that he has yeah. the budget is good for dr satan too i mean the film only had a seven million dollar budget and you wouldn't think with some of the the little sets that they have here and i love the look of earl because it really looks like his skin was burned off yes and he's got like, like those see... weird goggles like shoved into his eyes too yeah and you see it's like uh, what's the term like his musticular like tissue and everything yeah. like that it looks good, <laughs> but yeah, well, it's also late as we're recording it. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and this is a little of my disappointment is just how easy it is for her to get away. Like in the, for the first time when he tries to go after her, like it's menacing. And I'm not saying that the character's not menacing, but like she literally like ducks and then moves. And then when she gets cornered into where everything is, he seems so far away from her and he purposely like destroys the wall is what it feels like. Even though it's supposed to be, he's trying to attack her and she dodges and gets out of the way. Right. But yeah. it feels like she's, he's way too far from her. She definitely had enough time to escape. Um, and what's with the gook that he's like breathing out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like that yellow green mucus. It's like stuff. Pus. It is. It's gross, but I love his look. But he, this scene is filmed in slow motion. It, there's a real cool close up of her, and we see him kind of creeping around the corner. Yeah. And he, and in this scene, he was using a real axe. And I had read that he couldn't see out of those goggles so well, and so he swung with all his might or whatever, and they just hoped that Aaron Daniels would get out of the way. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. And luckily she was able to actually get out of the way and wasn't able to, you know, get axed down by somebody playing a a murderer. Uh, Right. (laughs) Instead, we have Earl who misses her, but hits the one support beam that's holding up this entire shaft above him. And it comes crashing down and it crushes the professor. Yeah. And and I guess my feeling kind of comes with this, like, it's not, terrible but it really feels like oh yeah i forgot about dr satan and so i need to write something that gets me to that point and yeah i felt like if they had focused a little more like you say this gets kind of a cultish supernatural and maybe mm-hmm. if they had done some other things that were kind of in like that throughout realm, the movie yeah exactly and and maybe that you you know i'm not saying you could the reveal of dr satan is perfectly fine i don't need to see dr satan 17 times in this movie 
because if you know the way that I feel about it, like a lot of monster movies, especially like during the 90s and some of them during the 80s, it's like when you finally see the monster, it's no longer scary. Right. You know, there are a few exceptions to that rule. Like Freddy Cougar is one of those exceptions. I believe Jason Voorhees is also one of those exceptions because they're not using him just now as a monster that's there, right? But that's kind of what I, I would have envisioned Dr. Satan to be and kind of what he is. So when you see him at the end of the movie, it's not, it's not terrible because, you know, oh, I finally get to see what Dr. Satan looks like. And it looks nothing like what was in Captain Spaulding's thing, which right. is terrible. Captain Spaulding's guy looks more like Earl than he does. <laughs> What's really Satan. funny is um, there is an old movie. I haven't seen it, but it's an old black and white movie and it has Dr. Satan in the title. I remember looking at it and I had wondered, and I'm sure that this is what it is. If Rob Zombie had pulled something from this, because I feel like the Dr. Satan get up probably matched more of what was in that vision to the other movie. And then, you know, now we get the Rob Zombie version. I, I bet there was something in that this, because this movie is not unintentional. Like things right. happen for a reason. Characters are a certain way for a reason. And that's the same thing I, that Dr. Satan, everything has a reference in some way, shape or form. So she manages now to get away and she crawls, you know, out of the, the dirt and runs over the road and that's where we see her savior come up, which happens to be Captain Spaulding. Or is it her savior? And the movie ends. Baby Jesus, girl, what the hell happened to you? I got away. You? Hey, I recognize you. Oh, there's a whole bunch of people been looking for you, I ask, girl. I gotta get to a doctor. Alright, alright. Just sit back and relax. corpses and of course the way that it ends is that she gets saved you know otis pops out of the car with a knife looks like he's going to attack her and then she ends up in dr satan's chair 
and now she's being the one that's being operated on, and Earl is still alive. So Earl well, managed yeah. to survive. Said Hayes' character said he was taking her to a doctor, and he did. Yeah, and, and so there are a couple of things, and I've, I know I've read a couple of things that some people believe that she never actually escaped Dr. Satan's lair, and that that sequence of her escaping and getting away from Earl is actually when she's starting to get operated on and are the last things that she actually remembers. And she thinks that she actually got out of there, but really she's been in Dr. Satan's possession the whole time or that she really never went down there. And this is all in her imagination. And that what happens in the car with Bill killing her is actually the end of everything that, you know, she ends up getting killed by the Firefly family and the whole Dr. Satan thing actually never really happened. Mm, That's, that's so interesting, man. So I, I say, Brian, when I saw this movie in theater, I had I was completely shocked and blown away when Otis sets up in the backseat. Like I didn't predict that at all. I that was so satisfying. Mm-hmm. And I think that it could have ended right there. I don't know if it needed to show her back with Doctor Satan. Right, right. Well, and that's the thing too. Like this movie, right? Whenever. Otis looks at Captain Spaulding and looks over at her and he pulls out that knife and he goes to stab her in slow motion. If he had done that, she wouldn't be, she'd have been dead right there. Yeah, that would have been it. So I love the debate of what really happened. And I've never really thought about that, but I'm not mad either way. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, uh, I feel like I'm a little bit disappointed just because I feel that, the Otis ending, if that's the end, that's actually the perfect way to, to, to end it. And that going back to Dr. Satanist just feels like a little extra filler, like, oh, I need to put in a couple more minutes here. But it does allow you to give it a, an open interpretation, like what's real, what's not real. Right. You know, is her really escaping? Because ultimately, even though she gets killed by Otis, it's not a happy ending. It's not no. like she got away and Spalding saved her and drove her off into the sunset and everything's perfectly fine. And she's the final girl because she's the most wholesome out of everybody. Right. But so, but she's still dead. In, Zob, in Rob Zombie's movie, everybody dies. That's right. You die. You die. He's like Oprah with death. Uh. <laughs> you get a death. <laughs> you get a death scene and you get a death scene and you get a death scene. But it's still, you know, I, I really do feel that it, it would have been a little more interesting maybe to go continue with like the firefly thing like okay we're going to have you introduce dr satan but it's not really dr satan it turns out to be one of the the members of the clan because dr satan is not even related to anybody the only thing that we know is that the ex-father the ex-husband is the assistant to dr satan right and that's the only and you don't really know that it's him unless you paid attention to that scene when they were talking about tiny because there is a quick flash of him in that scene yeah and I don't know, man. I mean, they say that Dr. Satan is a local legend. And so maybe this is part of the deal. Like Captain Spaulding gets them the people. They do what they want and they feed it over to Dr. Satan. And again, like I said, my family, they love everything except the Dr. Satan point. So the idea of that being just part of her mental process of thinking she escaped uh, and the fact that she died a long time ago or never escaped or whatever, I'm sure they would love. But uh, 
I feel like this movie holds up so much so because when I rewatched it, even again today, just for this, and like you and I said, we didn't have to rewatch this movie. It was just one of those refreshers. Oh no. I love the, the Dr. Statement. Dr. Satan filler. <laughs> Dr. Statement. What's happening right now? Okay, uh, that's a t shirt. Dr. Staten. Dr. Staten. Well, it's almost 1 a.m. in Texas. Give me a break. Oh, geez. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I think it definitely does hold up. I mean, if I have to look through it, through nostalgia, like glasses, and like I said, I've seen this, not as maybe not as much as you have, but I've seen this enough to know this movie back to front. And to to be able to I think the entire time that and you guys don't get to see it but the entire time that the the clips are playing we're quoting and we're I can see them right in my mind and I know can like trying to mimic the the facial expressions that I see in my head but we're both mouthing everything because we know where it's going to be and where it's going to go so it's it's like uh, I, watching this is only to basically get the what sound bites do I need to get. Where do I need right. to go to tell the, to help tell the story and to to really to those that say have heard bad things about this and don't really want to watch it, this gives you a chance to actually kind of maybe get a different appreciation for it from two guys that do really like it. I mean, it's hard to you know put myself in the uh, I'm going to be totally objectionable, you know, because I just there are so many things I just like about this movie that it makes it fun to talk about. It really does, and. I wish the listeners could see you act out the scene of that's not the only thing tasty in this house as you lick your finger, but I got to see it and <laughs> I'm terrified. So that's right. Almost as much as art, the clown hanging out next to you. Oh, <laughs> you can be a terrifier. So as we always do, um, you know, we're going to rate the movie on, on the, the scale that the terrible terror rates everything. So Gore, where would you put this out of five? The movie has a lot of scary scenes. There's some gore, but there's not a lot. And so I think just because of the added scenes with Otis wearing the dad that pushes it up a notch. So I'm going to give it a four out of five. Yeah. And I'm exactly in the same area as you. I think it's a four out of five because of that scene. Uh, The stabbing scene that Mary gets, it's pretty, pretty bloody. Um, You know, even when the, the dad gets shot up, uh, the scene in the barn, the back of the car, uh, the, you know, the scalping of uh, Jerry, especially when he's being worked on by Dr. Satan. You oh, know, yeah. that's that's pretty gory and it looks great. Again, everything is practical effects in this and it all looks fantastic. Uh, you know, for the time, that's what we're using in 2003 is primarily practical effects. You know, there's still some CGI and I bet you there's some CGI in here, but you can't notice you know what might be going on it might just be to duplicate something in the background who knows but like you said it's all shot in the universe a lot so they used a lot of iconic locations uh to basically give you this movie so out of the uh the crap factor where would you put the crap factor in this movie i know this might be a difficult one it is a difficult one because it's not even nostalgia it's my love for rob zombie and i i know five out of five means it's total crap one out of five Mm -hmm. means it's not that crappy and i'll be honest with you i'll probably give it a two out of five because i feel like the only thing that most folks will argue is crap is the dr satan part and Mm -hmm. so i'll give you a two for that but my personal opinion is i don't think this movie's crappy at all so i give it a two as well that's we're kind of like almost right in line with everything 
because I really feel that there's some, sometimes the weird cuts are weird cuts and sometimes they do tell a story. Uh, some of the dialogue is good and some of them like kind of what we discussed with that last scene with baby might feel like a little bit of a filler. Like, why is it, you could have cut things a little different. Um, and then I do feel like sometimes that it's just like a little bit of the dark. I'm, I'm kind of taking that whole Dr. Satan section out of it. When I'm thinking, I'm just looking at the craft of the film and the way the acting is. Cause most of the acting is really good. There's nothing really that that's that bad. It's mostly like little gripes here and there. And then I just feel that the, you know, some of the, the way that we get, like, if we're going to do that little with Dr. Satan, maybe not take up that much time. Like it's like 20 minutes of the movie that takes up doing that last little section, you know, like the, the, literally the clip from catch the rabbit happens at uh, one Oh eight. So one hour and eight minutes into the movie. And the movie itself is an hour and 22 minutes long. And then past that point, it's all the Dr. Satan stuff until the very last thing, which is, sorry, this actually comes at one hour and 23 minutes is when she gets saved. And that's the end of the movie. So there's a long section of that where I, I, I do feel that we could have gotten maybe more Firefly stuff. I don't know. But of course we know how it turns out for the sequel. So we get what people really kind of wanted out of the first movie, right. you know, with everything going on. So fun factor. What is your fun? Like how fun is this movie to you? Oh, so uh, it's a five out of five it, for me. Um, I love this movie. I will always love this movie. I get excited if I can introduce it to somebody. And like you and I have said, we've seen it so many times and it's still fun. And I, I give it actually a four out of five for me because like I said, it, it not really does come down to the last 20 minutes of the movie. Like I feel everything is fun. And then I feel like it slows down a little bit there. And that if it was mixed with some other things and maybe better ties to the Firefly family, then I'd give it a five out of five. But the performance in this movie are so good that it, I can't give it anything lower than a four. Like it's it. Bill Mosley is so good. Sid Haig is so good. Uh, Karen Black is so good. Even like you said, Chris Hardwick and Rain Wilson and uh, Jennifer Jossen and Aaron Daniels as minor, not minor, but like basic as those yeah. roles are, because they're just the good people. It's still sure. good. You know, you get the camaraderie in the beginning and you, you get the, the feelings already from Mary and, and how Denise is going to act and react throughout the movie right away. So it's, it's good for what, what it is. And, you know, with there being no final girl, it's kind of like, you know, we got to rely on, on performances as well. So overall, what would you give the film? Well, I'm sure nobody can predict this. No. But Rob Zombie can do no wrong in my book, and people are going to get tired of hearing that all month, but I don't care because it's Zombie Ween. And so this movie, for me, gets five out of five Fish Boys. All right. So give it a five out of five. I'm going to give it actually like a three and a half out of five. I like it a lot, and it seems weird for me to say three and a half out of five Dr. Satans, but it really, it really is for me, it does come down to that last bit. I love everything. That first hour is so good that this does dock it some to me. Okay. I'm just in that family. But it's not to say that I don't like things that are done in there. That's why I would give it that half a half a Dr. Satan. And I don't like to throw halves around, but I can't. I feel like I can't quite give it a four, but it doesn't deserve a three. 
So it's going to get a half a Dr. Satan in there, uh, particularly for me. So it's, it, it, if you've never seen it before and this made you want to see it, see it. Please do it. Um, and if you, you have seen it, uh, we always want to know what your thoughts are. So with all that, uh, what are we going to do for the next movie in uh, this Rob Zombie Halloween that we've got going on? We're going to follow the Firefly family, and we're going to take a look at the next film in this trilogy called Devil's Rejects. What police haven't covered reads like this. Words can't describe it. We here, we are playing on a level that most will never see. You're going to start the killing. You best start it right here. So yes, The Devil's Rejects is our very next film. And uh, I can tell you that if this one was, uh, you know, three hours, uh, you can only imagine what that one's probably going to be like too. So you're just going to have to lock and load it for Halloween. And we're going to just keep rocking and rolling with these Rob Zombie movies. And so, you know, Dave is, he's going to be here every episode for for this. we are not necessarily recording them in order <laughs> uh, or we might be recording. I mean, we are recording the order, but not like in the month of October <laughs> necessarily. Yep, yeah, Space man, no. so, oh. it's, it's an honor to be here, man, to be talking Rob Zombie with you. And I, anybody could have done this with you, but I feel especially thankful because I love Rob Zombie and I love this trilogy and pretty much all the movies Rob Zombie does and it's so exciting because I've seen every single one of them in theater some more than others and as we get into Devil's Rejects I will tell you that it it wasn't until Aladdin that I had seen Devil's Rejects in theater more than anything else and when you asked me what House of a Thousand Corpses was I told you that it was the serial killer slash haunted house movie in my opinion Devil's Rejects is a Bonnie and Clyde movie yeah and really like we've we've kind of talked about you know, it's almost like we could just start talking about The Devil's Rejects again, but uh, again, it's getting so late that <laughs> we both need to sleep in one way or another. But it, it definitely is the direction that I think a lot of people wanted House of Thousand Corpses to go on who it was focused on, how they focused on everything, and where they wanted to go with it. Um, and uh, it's definitely going to be a treat uh, as we get into that film as well. So, is there anything, um, I, do we really need to do our plugs for this? They're no, going to keep hearing about us? Yeah, we don't need to keep promoting this podcast because I hope that people already subscribe and listen to it. But I, I do want more feedback. So if people out there rate, review, uh, let us know how it's going. I hope that you love this episode and I hope you stick with it because there's so much more Rob Zombie to come. Yeah, and don't forget to go out there and check out the other podcasts that are part of the SIP Network. 
Uh, we're all out there, you know, on sipnet.us. There's From the Wastes, Five Fade from Fans, the podcast from Another World, Angry Dad podcast, Paranormal Pativity, Back in Time podcast, and Dead Hand Radio, along with, of course, the Terrible Terror podcast. Um, and I believe that's everyone that's there, uh, unless for some reason we've added somebody and I have not yet, uh, they've not come in. <laughs> in you said that from time. the waist, right? I did say Evan was okay. number one on the yes, call he sheet. Is. That's right. So, because he's going to love this episode. And, and special shout out to Back in Time podcast because yep. I did get to record with him last Halloween and we did talk about this movie specifically. So, if people want to check that out, Jen Dreadful was on there. So, if you just want to hear her, go check out that Back in Time episode. Yep. And don't forget to check out Dave's YouTube channel as well. Uh, if you haven't, there's some old school Dave pop culture podcast type episodes going on up there. Um, lots so, of lots of fun. Lots of fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, so if there's anything else that I'm going to add, I'll add it after the break. But thanks, Dave, uh, for joining in. So I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. I know it's a little bit of a long one. And in fact, spoiler alert, they're all kind of long. <laughs> That's just because Dave and I keep going on. But nonetheless, thank you again for listening and checking out these episodes for Rob Zombie Ween. Don't forget to check out The Devil's Rejects, which is going to be the next episode. And then also for the month of October, I'm doing the 31 and 31 movie reviews, which you can find out there on the Terrible Terror YouTube channel as well as IGTV. So appreciate you all listening. Thank you very much. Take care of yourselves and each other.